Hello everyone and welcome to episode 87 of Connectivity. I'm Scott Thompson. We've got one regular segment for you this week and then two, yes, two bonus segments. Uh, the main segment this week is all about the Nintendo Direct and some reaction to the announcement of the Xbox One that features myself, Neil, and special guest Donald Terriel. After the outro, we have our first bonus segment, which is the return of our space segment, featuring myself and Dr. Jonathan Metz. And after that, we have a second bonus segment about the season finale of Doctor Who. That's with myself, Patrick, Nicholas, and Amanda. Enjoy. Hey, and welcome to this special episode of Connectivity. And by special, it's, uh, you know, the regular weekly show. But you've got me, Neil Ronahan, and with me, we've got Scott Thompson, as usual. Hello! And we've got uh, Shaman, or Donald, uh, how the hell do you pronounce your last name? Terriel. Terriel. Okay. I will uh, try to remember your, your wacky Canadian last name. <laughs> what What is, what is like, the, uh, I guess... Um, I love it. We had the same discussion, like, a month ago when he was on <laughs> for the hockey segment. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, Acadian French last name. Okay. Cool. Um, and uh, most of you probably know... Um, Donald as shaman in the forums and all sorts of other things about the internet. He's he's a man about town, so to speak. Just a big internet whore, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> Donald I'd... Nick, if you will. On, on the Twitters, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but we're going to talk about last week's Nintendo Direct, the one that was the summer-focused Wii U Nintendo Direct, and then we're going to wrap a little bit about the Xbox One that super poppin' fresh system from Microsoft, those those crazy innovators, those those guys. <laughs> Maybe you've heard of it. There's dogs. The one the one that came out in two thousand and one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did have in an email thread I did do a whole kind of like who's on first about the Xbox One and how there's exclusive <laughs> football games. Oh you mean NFL fever, right? <laughs> That's pretty good. Peyton Manning's on the cover. I saw someone posted a Google image search of Xbox One, and it was just pictures of all the classic Xbox. It's like, real good move, Microsoft. <laughs> Although I have to say, because um, we just put up a roundtable discussion from a bunch of the staffers talking about the Xbox One, and I went and searched, Google image searched Xbox One, you know, a couple hours after the event, and it was all of the Xbox Ones and the new ones, I guess. Oh, okay. Just, oh, man, what a dumb name. That's yeah. That's all I can say. People thought Wii U was bad. Well, it's like, it's kind of the same line of thinking, right? I mean, I, I, we shouldn't be talking about this yet, but sort of one, like, it's your one and all device in, in you. Like, it's supposed yeah. to, I don't know, be all for you or all about you. You know, your source yeah. of everything you want uh, from your entertainment center. So it's the same kind of concept, equally dumb, I guess. Except now they lose the option, because I think they called it the 360 last time, so they could compete with the PlayStation 3. You'd think they'd do something <laughs> with the PlayStation 4. Not. Yeah. <laughs> so the right Xbox now in four one. Yeah. So in the new generation of console wars, I think PS4 is now leading based on name alone. Yeah. Um, it has early points. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but before we get to that jazz, let's talk about the the Sega announcements at our Nintendo Direct, which was kind of a weird beginning to it, as the big reveal was that Nintendo and Sega have an exclusive partnership for three games, two of which were announced. That's Sonic Lost World, which is the next big and possibly good Sonic game. Um, and that's coming exclusively to Wii U and 3DS. There is also Mario and Sonic at the 2014 Winter Olympic Games, which I think are somewhere in Russia. 
And that's, uh, I think that's early 2014 for that. And then Sonic Lost World is this fall. And for those who are keeping score at home, Sonic Lost World for Wii U and 3DS will both be playable at E3. So there will be a lot more information about those games in the coming weeks if you didn't think there was going to be do we, more information about Do we know... Do we <laughs> that This was it. No more information. Um, do we know at all if, if this is a team that worked on Colors? Or, I mean, is it all just one team I at Sega? Because Colors was pretty well received. Yeah, I mean, just judging from how it's been two years since the last big Sonic game, uh, Sonic Generations, I would assume it's probably that team. But Sonic Generations, at least on Wii U, was or not Wii U, on 360 and PS3, was pretty well received. Um, I never checked it out, but I would definitely be interested in a game from those guys who made Sonic Generations. Uh, for Sonic Generations on 3DS, I would assume it's those same people working on Sonic Lost World on 3DS, and I have negative interest in that game. I did not enjoy Sonic Generations on, on the 3DS. So it's not the yeah. same team that did the DS version of Colors, because that's the only recent Sonic game that I've played, and I enjoyed what it played I, a bit. Yeah, I haven't really enjoyed any of the 2D Sonic games since, like, 2. So I guess take what I say with a grain of salt, because I, I didn't even really like Colors that much on DS. The Wii version of Colors was way better. I liked the Sonic Rush games. Those were good 2D games. And even yeah. the, the Game Boy Advance Sonic games were actually really good, too. Same team. Yeah. Um, uh, so. I think that was Dimps. It was, yeah. So we'll see. I don't know. I don't really get too excited about 3D Sonic games anymore, if ever. Um, but who knows? I mean, I if, it is, if it is similar to Colors, then I will be a little more interested. Because Colors was pretty good. Yeah. I'm more I'm more interested in what this pretends. If these games do well, maybe that three game agreement becomes a little bit further. I, here, everyone wants to see you know Nintendo by Sega or Sega by Nintendo just to see how the <laughs> fanboys would react. So yeah, <laughs> so hopefully this does well, I, and I'm sure that the Son- Mario and Sonic Olympics game will sell tell ten million in Canada just from the curling. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the curling did look pretty sweet. <laughs> you gotta admit. <laughs> I mean, it is the kind of thing where I don't think Nintendo would buy Sega. I mean, it's also just kind of how things are shaking out with Nintendo having losses. I don't think they're in a position where buying Sega would be that good for either company. Well, I guess maybe Sega would be good for. But I could see something where, like, Sonic is exclusive to Nintendo for X amount of years. Because if you think about it, I think some of Sonic's best-selling games have been... Mario and Sonic games, or maybe his appearance in Smash Brothers, if you if you count as that a Sonic game in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. If he did appear in it. And even the even the Sonic games that have come out multi-platform, they always did sell best on Wii. Yeah. And that's I why, think that, that's ha- why having Sonic own. have a home for uh, on Nintendo platforms is probably a great idea. Yeah, and that's why I think maybe not buying Sega, but maybe yeah, signing them as like a second-party developer or something just seems to make makes some amount of sense because I think I think these Sonic games do feel most at home on Nintendo platforms. And anyone who's going yep. to buy them more than likely is buying them for a Nintendo platform. Although um, with Sega, though, they have they have two big parts. They have the console development, which that could go to Nintendo. But they also have a lot of PC strategy stuff, especially yeah. after THQ went bankrupt. They they've pretty much got a monopoly on Total War series now. Right. So yeah. I don't see Nintendo playing that backyard. At least not yet. Yeah. No, I definitely I definitely agree with that. That's why I don't think Nintendo would buy Sega. I think Nintendo would just have a pretty 
a pretty ironclad exclusive partnership with them. Yeah, just for Sonic games. Unprecedented, yeah. if you will. We think Sonic will be in the next Smash Brothers game? We return? Uh, no doubt. It's oh, you think so? pretty much locked in at this point, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, like, I think it would be a mammoth surprise if they're like, yeah, Sonic's not in it. You think we'll see additional Sonic characters? I would not be super surprised, especially with this, this agreement in place. Yeah. Maybe uh, the new Smash Brothers game is secretly the third Sonic game. <laughs> Well, I think that the third Sonic game might be some kind of, like, Mario versus Sonic Kart or something. Because Sumo, uh, what is it, Steve Lysette from Sumo Digital made a lot of allusions on Twitter about how now we'll, like, it's something along the lines of, like, now we'll be able to see who's really the best kart racer or something. Who's the fastest. And people, yeah, who, we'll, we'll be able to see who's the fastest. And, mm. um, you know, alluding to Sonic, and then someone made a crack about Pac-Man. Or, or, like, you know, oh, it's going to be a crossover of Pac-Man World Rally. <laughs> and then he made a comment about, like, no, it's bigger than that. Hmm. Well, um, there you go. Relate and, I mean, me. I, I think Sumo Digital should just make the next Mario Kart. Just period. Yeah. If that happened, I'd be happy. Sonic Racing was really good. Uh, relatedly, I thought about this today, watching the Microsoft press conference to jump ahead once again. But I really think for Nintendo's next console announcement, they should demo how great the technology is by showing like a really sweet Mario Kart <laughs> tech demo. Like every yeah. both the PS4 and the the new Xbox both showed like car games to illustrate the graphics. I think it'd be great if you get some close-up on some cartwheels, uh, you know, and then like a zoom in like on the uh, the wheel and everything, yeah. and it's just look at this go kart. Shimmers. <laughs> Well, they they do have F Zero for that as well. They could if they wanted to pull that log out of the fire. They don't have F Zero. Uh, I can <laughs> dream, <off>. can I? <laughs> yeah, we were actually talking about that. Um, I had a couple of uh, our NWR staffers in the New Jersey area over to play some games, and we were talking about how a new F Zero game is so unlikely because of how epically or how how badly. Uh, F Zero GP Legend on Game Boy Advance bombed. I think uh, I think Justin Barubi made a comment about how F Zero GP Legend was quite possibly the worst selling game Nintendo had ever published in America. Oh wow! In, like, the past ten years. And well, and then the uh, GameCube one certainly didn't uh, light any fires. Yeah. <laughs> I, think I think that F one was quickly in the ten dollar bin. Yeah, because F Zero GP Legend was the last one to come out in North America, and there was a sequel to that that only came out in Japan. They weren't very good games. Oh. <laughs> and, and now you're ruining my dream of, of Retro doing the next F-Zero game. Oh, don't get me wrong, dude. I would love to see a new F-Zero game. But... but... <laughs> it's like Star Fox. Like, I want to see a new Star Fox game, too. But I don't think 64 3D sold well enough for us to see that happen. Unfortunately. Yeah, and that was sort of the caveat going in, right? It was like, well, let's see. I mean, didn't Miyamoto almost say as much? <laughs> Yeah, and and then like Miyamoto's just kind of an asshole for saying that. It's like you need to buy this, this barely up, like like you know this this upgraded port in order for us to make a new one. Like that, there's not really much logic in that because you have a lot of people that would totally buy a new Star Fox game in the vein of '64, but they wouldn't just buy a game they've already played to death. I did my part for it. I bought it digitally a couple weeks ago. There you yeah, go. Well, I. I reviewed it and I think gave it a 9.0 because it's a damn good game. I bought it. So, there's two. <laughs> Alright, so, well, what is uh, what is next from Nintendo Direct? Uh, we also found out that Yakuza 1 and 2 HD are coming to Wii U in Japan. 
Yay for Japan. Yep. Do you think those will come to North America? Um, it's short, no, and long, hell no. <laughs> yeah. I, I, mean, I, I think I it's, can, a, it's a wonder that those games just came to North America in any way, shape, or form. Initially, re-released. Right. The only The only way I could see it, which I don't know, because the Japanese, the release here in Japanese probably won't have any of the English uh, voiceover or subtitles, but I was going to say, the only way I could see it was, like, digital only. Um, but if, if the English tracks aren't in there, then they're not going to put the effort in to put them in and then release it. If it was an easy, straight, just throw it on the eShop, maybe, but and probably. Yakuza 1's voice tracks, they have some pretty big stars in there. I think Michael Madsen is one of the voice actors for that game. I think yeah. you're right. They went all out on the American version, yeah. And it At least the bombed. first one. So the second one, I think they brought yeah. over subtitled. So they... they just did subtitles, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that probably will not happen, unfortunately. But I don't know. I've never yeah. played either of these games, but I hear great things. If it did come to the eShop, I would play them. I probably would too. I'd look into it, but I've never. I'm not a big fan of open world games, so. I'm... Yeah. Why aren't you on more podcasts? We get along. <laughs> <laughs> I like you. <laughs> yeah. You also dislike GTA, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm more. I'm when yeah. it comes to that, I'm more of a Saints Row man. Yeah, I've actually never played a Saints Row game, but I do have Saints Row 2 uh, free because of PlayStation Plus. And I've always wanted to check out the third, but I just don't want to spend a lot of money. I think you may get that one on Plus. I don't know how the whole THQ thing is going to shake out, but it is definitely worth a shot. Then again, there's a lot of wrestling references in there, and I'm a big wrestling fan, so it's right up my alley. (laughs) Uh, So the next little bit of news that we have is still related to Sega, and that's a whole mess of... Game Gear games are going to be coming to the 3DS Virtual Console um, in the coming months, or I think I think they were just labeled as soon. And uh, here's the list of games. Columns, Crystal Warriors, Defenders of Oasis, Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, G-Lock Air Battles, Shining Force 2, The Sword of Hajja, <laughs> Sonic Blast, Sonic Drift 2, Sonic Labyrinth, Sonic the Hedgehog, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, <laughs> Tales Adventure, Vampire, Master of Darkness. I sense a theme near the end of that list. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There, there are not one, play. not two, but six Sonic games on the list. Actually, no, no, seven. Seven, Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, too. Yep, earlier up on there. Yeah, I think from that list, I might bite on columns because of, you know, portable puzzle game i think yeah played columns would be i think i actually have columns on game gear i eerily enough i own a game gear my brother got one at one point and we never put batteries into it we just play it with the ac adapter which seems pointless it's the i had only a red and stimpy it. game i had a red and stimpy game for that that is i actually kind of i played in the past couple of years and it's still a pretty good platformer i had I, I eventually got ninja gaiden for it which is okay and i had i think sonic triple trouble um not much, though, because the Game Gear is not really that worth it. Well, Columns... The Shinobi game was pretty cool. Yeah. But... Columns, Mean Bean Machine, and I might take a look at Shining Force, although I've got a couple of people on Twitter that are bigger RPG fiends than me that I'll have them take a look at it first, but apparently... Well, yeah, I don't know yeah. I don't know what that one is. I've, I've played Shining Force 2 on the Genesis, and it, it's one of my favorite games. Um, it's, it's absolutely great, especially if you're a fan of something like Fire Emblem. 
Um, yeah, the, those games are fantastic. For but the I, I don't know anything about this Game Gear one. Like, I don't know if this... I wouldn't think it's, like, a like a re-release, because um, I don't think they were really thinking that way back in the 90s. So it seems like it's probably, like, a weird... handle it. Right, so it's probably, like, a weird offshoot kind of, like, sequel, maybe, or side story, but... Yeah, I don't know anything about it, but that that would definitely be one worth looking into. And then yeah. the Sonic the Hedgehog games, what? I mean, those aren't like again, okay. those aren't like so, redos of the the Genesis games, right? Those are no. And did those come before Triple Trouble? Yes, Triple I Trouble so. was the third one. Triple Trouble is also the best one, which is kind of like dumb. They, I mean, it's I guess it's good that they led with the best one, but like <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog one, two, and I think Tails Adventure. Is another side scroller, if memory yeah, serves yeah. me correctly. Um, and Triple Trouble is the best of the four. That's what I thought. Um, so you'll be taking a step backwards. And I got Triple Trouble, and despite re- enjoying it in my youth, I do not enjoy that game that much. But I also don't really like 2D Sonic the Hedgehog games outside of 2 anymore. I think I've got, I think I'll get my Game Gear Sonic filters from that GameCube Sonic Gems collection, which I yeah. basically. Well, that has like all of those, right? Yeah. And it's even got the the racing game. I don't know if it was on that list or not. Sonic Drift Two. Sonic Drift. I'll have to take a look. That here. sounds like a racing game. Yeah, yeah, that's a racing game. But I one thing I will say is that apparently the the emulation of Game Gear games on 3DS has you can remap the buttons like you can on the Wii U VC, and there's different colored backgrounds for the Game Gear as well. So hopefully. <laughs> So it's good good to get some more of that on there if only it's just sort of some high quality emulation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean they, I I have uh, I have Shinobi and uh Triple Trouble and it you have a lot of customization options. It's pretty nice. I know I'll definitely get from this list. Um I will get Mean Bean Machine cuz Mean Bean Machine is I uh, like I love that game on Genesis and despite it just being Poyo Poyo, it's one of my favorite versions of the game. Yeah, it is uh, very, very good. I like that one as well. We'll have to make a new folder then. <laughs> yeah. Folder um, S. But I, but I can't say I really have heard of any of the other games. It'll be a lot of wait and see. Hopefully we'll be able to have some reviews out there, so that way you guys know what's worth it and what's not. I'm going to make an educated guess to say that there might be a gem in this bunch, but most of them probably... Is that a little pun about columns? No, no, I was just going to say about how <laughs> probably not Columns. Oh, Columns is good. I like Columns. I mean, I don't know about the Game Gear version, but I used to love Columns when I was a kid. Yeah, that's why I'm a little wor- I'm a little worried about um the I'm a little worried about the Beam Mean Beam Machine port on Game Gear because it might not be as good, but I don't really care. I love that game. Yeah, so I went to the Buffon of All Knowledge Wikipedia and it's it's showing that this game, the Shining Force game, is actually pretty rare, and it mentions it being a strategy RPG. Well, then color me excited. Uh, uses gameplay mechanics identical to those of its predecessor, Shining Force Gaiden. Hmm. Well. Yeah, might be worth uh, looking into. I'm yeah. into it. I think I'd try it out. So, next on the list, we have some release dates for stuff. Uh, New Super Luigi U will be our next major Wii U release on June 20th. Um, that is that is a Thursday. So, you know, download Thursday. Download your DLC. And then in two months, or I guess depending on your region, 
you will have the option to buy New Super Luigi U as a retail game. Um, if you do the downloadable version, you need to have New Super Mario Brothers U. You need to own that already. Whereas you can buy the retail version without it. Um, and the retail version, so it's coming out on June 20th in every region, or technically the 19th in Japan, but it's all you know roughly the same time. And then the retail version is coming out July 13th in Japan, July 26th in Europe, and August 25th in North America. Which makes which no is sense. Ridiculous. <laughs> ridiculous. Hey, green cases take time to print, I guess. I guess yeah. so. <laughs> and North America is the biggest region, so I guess that makes sense. I'm uh, I'm really, really excited for this, and I, I enjoyed this part of the Nintendo Direct for a few reasons. Uh, first of all, confirming that multiplayer was in the game. I don't think we knew that to that point. It, everything we'd seen so far was just one Luigi running around, and I know yeah. maybe not the case with most of you, but with these 2D side-scrollers, I like to play them uh, with my wife. We played through them entirely, and um, I was really worried there was going to be no multiplayer. So seeing the Toads in there uh, is very exciting. And as far as Nabbit, I know a lot of people probably think Nabbit's kind of lame as a playable character because he's invincible. But I gotta say, like, she's too young now, but my daughter, like, when she's about three years old, maybe, so two years from now, which I don't know if I'll be playing this game, but based on the first party releases so far for the Wii U, I might be playing it again. Um, this is, like, perfect for a little kid to just kind of, like, mess around with and be able to yeah. play without getting in the way, um, you know, or getting frustrated with, with dying constantly. So That's I think actually... this is really smart. I can relate that kind of directly because I lent my copy of New Super Mario Brothers U to my brother, and he played it with my, you know, his daughter, my five-year-old niece, and she loves watching him play, but she does not enjoy playing because I've noticed this uh, with I have another niece who's like about to turn seven, um, and I played New Super Mario Brothers Wii with her a little bit. And it just, I guess, when you're younger, sometimes the whole idea of running and jumping at the same time can be, uh, you know, a big challenge. So those games aren't really that friendly when it comes to it, if you're trying to learn, because it's basically like you die very easily, you fall in the pits very easily, because you have to be able to comprehend moving and jumping at the same time. So while it's colorful and kids seem to like it, it's it's very frustrating for them to play. So when you have a character like Nabbit that can't die, like, that's great, because then, you know, my my brother, who loves playing these games, can play the game with his kid, who loves watching play those games, and they can play it together. Right. It's like the perfect in-between from the kid actually really playing the game, and then just handing them a controller that's not plugged in or has no batteries. <laughs> just, yep. you know, it, it's the perfect bridge between them recognizing they're not actually playing, and, you know, like, really playing with all the rules being applied to them. So I think it's a smart yeah. move. Yeah, and since all the, I agree. Um, and all the levels are 100 seconds anyway, so it'll certainly keep up if they have... It'll keep their attention constantly changing levels every minute and a half. Right, exactly. Yeah. So their ADD will be right in check. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't know. That's exciting. Although it does kind of screw you a little bit if you actually wanted to play with, you know, like, three other friends, because now one yeah. of your friends will be stuck playing with a character who can't get hurt Someone's or die. Someone's gonna but... be Nabbit. But how many people really play this game with four people, anyway? I've... I, I mean, mean, like, sometimes really I'll play, play it with Lauren, but that's about it. Yeah. I mean, the only time I played it... We actually, we did some of the coin battle stuff when we did the live stream last weekend, in which I used the gamepad and just tried to hurt everybody as much as possible. <laughs> But right. like, they would jump up for coins, and I would just place a block, and then they'd fall down a pit. Beautiful. It's so rewarding. Neil Ramahan, <laughs> the one-man Kaizo Mario maker. Yes, yes. <laughs> awesome. But yeah, I'm really excited. I think $20 is the perfect 
price point for this. Any more would have been kind of a stretch, but based on how much it sounds like is in this game, I, I think $20 is great for the, yeah, the downloadable definitely. version. So a few weeks and we're going to be there. So Yep. And then the other news is we heard more about Pikmin 3, which, like all these games, is coming out in North America last. Um, it's coming out August 4th there, July 26th in Europe, and earlier in July, I think July 19th in Japan. Um, uh, July and we 13th. Heard, okay, then, then even earlier. But I'm really excited for Pikmin 3 for, I think, the first time ever. Because you found out there's no time limits? There's no day limit? Well, I... That that's part of it is, I mean, but I also didn't necessarily expect that off, off. Yeah, at the start I didn't really expect that because playing Pikmin two kind of was like, oh, I like the I like the way the pace of this game is because, you know, you do have the day you know going from dawn to dusk and having that limitation, but you can take as long as you want, which I liked a lot more than the Pikmin one style of just if you don't get this done in, in you know, in X amount of days, then you're going to die. Even though it's pretty easy to beat it within that time, it's still a mental thing where you're just like, I don't have any time to do this. It's why I also don't like Majora's Mask as much. Mm-hmm. But rushed. What, what kind of sold me on Pikmin 3 is that they seem to actually be legitimizing it being on the Wii U. Because if you have the gamepad and you're using that to switch between the three different captains, then that has a real application of why the Wii U gamepad should be used with that game, as opposed to just having it kind of be superfluous because the Wii remote and uncheck controls, from when I've played demos of that, are far superior compared to the gamepad controls. And I'm also excited for multiplayer, even though it might not be online at all. Which is unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. Although, but I guess not surprising. I feel like I remember hearing something that... It might not 100% be offline, or be just offline multiplayer, although that might have just been a rumor that is probably bullshit and wishful thinking. Yeah. If Is it a case of, we'll probably find out in two weeks of E3? Please say now. Probably. It probably is. If I mean, I, I, they did talk about how they're going to talk about the multiplayer soon, and they kind of have to talk about it soon, because it's coming out in Japan in less than two months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we will know all about this game by the time it comes out in North America, because everyone else in the entire fucking world will have played it. Yay! <laughs> Excitement! Yeah. yeah, well, I guess that's nothing new for Nintendo fans in America, which is weird. Yeah. You'd think we'd be past that at this point. We had a um, really good run. Like, we got Fire Emblem way early. Yep. Well, you know, earlier, we got we, it earlier than Europe, but in Japan, yeah. it had already been out for like six months or more. Yeah, yeah, we still won. <laughs> we beat Europe. That's all that matters. Yeah. That I mean, that's who we're competing with. We're not competing with Japan. <laughs> that's a match no one wins. <laughs> yeah. Well, except for, like, we did get Skyward Sword before Japan, I think. True. And didn't we get the Wii before Japan? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that has to do with that um, Black Friday is a much bigger deal in North America than it is anywhere else. So they want more of the supply to go there yeah. than to other countries. Sure. So we basically sense. benefit in November, and that's about it, apparently, because yeah. the summer doesn't matter. Yeah. So the other game that we got a release date for was the Wonderful 101, which is launching in Europe on August 23rd, in Japan on August 24th, <laughs> and for some reason it's coming out in North America on September 15th. <laughs> and two days before Grand Theft Auto V. Which, you know, Donald and I might not give a crap about, but no matter how you shake it, that's a dumb 
Yeah. Because no game on the face of the earth can compete with Grand Theft Auto V. Well, there is one Nintendo IP that can do it. Unfortunately, oh, it's Pokemon. No, Mario Kart. The la- <laughs> Wii ver- the Wii version came out. Really? The Wii version came out two days before Grand oh, Theft yeah. Auto Four, and I think it sold what thirty million. But yeah, those are That's yeah. True. But did it sold a lot that first month? Uh, it. I think the NPDs that month were 360 version of Grand Theft Auto, Mario Kart, and then PS3 version. PS3. And the, I would call that a win for Mario. Yeah, that's not bad actually. Yeah, and I think yeah. it was like 900, 700, 600. I don't know why. I don't know why I know this, but I can't remember my own phone number half the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's some specific knowledge. Yeah, it's cool though. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm really excited for the Wonderful 101. It's probably my most anticipated Wii U game that I know about at this point. And that's almost more from the like the threat of the unknown, because we still don't really know that much about this game. You know um, what's unfortunate about this, too, apart from even just coming up against Grand Theft Auto, but by this point, I think we'll know a lot of stuff that's coming at the end of the year from Nintendo, first-party stuff. Yeah. And I wonder how, how against that stuff this game is going to be, and is that going to hurt it, too? You know, Is it like, oh, this comes out, but... Look, new 3D Mario at the end of the year. You know, like, yeah. is that going to take some of the, even more of the kind of steam out of this, out of this game? I don't know. See, I think you might be overselling the potential for the Wonderful 101 at all. Um, <laughs> like, I'm really excited for it, but it's nothing more than kind of a niche game. And, That's well, true. it's a platinum game, and maybe a platinum game that's sold. Except yeah. maybe Bayonetta. I think Bayonetta sold well enough. Yeah. Well, not to get a sequel supposedly funded by Nintendo, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't know. This, see, this is something that would have been perfect, as we initially thought, uh, during, like, January or February this year, when yeah. nothing else was out and the spotlight could be squarely on it. But it's just going to come out in the thick of things. It's not going to be good. Man, I can't wait to hear in the future when, like, some former Nintendo employee just, like, tells all about what the hell happened in the past year. <laughs> There's probably a hell of a book in that. Yeah. Yeah. Although it, it, it seems like it's just Nintendo having to do the same HD struggle that everybody else did in 2007. Yeah, but yeah, just not just not but, prepared for the resources and time it would take to. Why yeah. is the Wonderful 101 so late then? Because Platinum Games have dealt with HD games before. I mean, that's that's where it doesn't fully add up. Is that if Nintendo was struggling with it, then you would think that a company like Platinum Games, who's pretty well versed in all of that. Um, they wouldn't have as much trouble, but it seems like everyone had trouble with it. Maybe, maybe there's something about the Wii U that's really a pain in the ass to develop for. My, my thought, even as far back as January, was that this game, that wonderful one-on-one was going to be the June game, and I'd pick it up when I got my Wii U, but September now? Sure. Yeah. Sure, I'll have, I'll finally be playing, you know, New Super Mario, and I'll have the Luigi stuff, and, you know, might have Sonic and All-Stars, but... There's not a lot that's come out since that. Nope. Yeah. You should play Zombie U. That's my favorite game. Yeah. That and so Steven's trying. Steven Shook, uh, my podcast goes, wants me to try Monster Hunter. That's the only game I'm getting retail just because I need a disc to snap in half when I rage quit. <laughs> <laughs> you need that tactile feel. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's the thing is I find myself playing my Wii U a lot more. Now that I have, you know, some good virtual console games to kind of go back and play, like I'm playing through Super, Mar- Super Mario World, playing mm-hmm. some Super Metroid. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually, I've been playing Fortune Street. Uh, I got that dirt cheap off of Newegg a couple months ago, and I'm finally playing it. But I'm actually using my Wii U more 
um, which is good, but I'm still not really playing new games. I'm just playing old games that they made available. Yeah, same here. I, I had a good run of Injustice, but I'm pretty much, you know, through yeah. that now. And Yeah, I had fun with Injustice as well, but, I mean, I would kind of like DLC for that game. Yeah, uh, that'd be nice. I'd like, I'd like to play as a Lobo and Batgirl. It's kind of funny, because uh, Batgirl is out on Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3, if you have Injustice for those. And we keep on getting emails about, like, ah, oh, DLC coming next week. DLC is available now. And every single one, I just reply, any word on the Wii U DLC? <laughs> Waiting for some PR rep to just, like, rage yell at me, being like, would you just shut up? It's not coming. Every, every, every time it's a real polite, like, we do not have any information about this time. We will inform you of when we have information about this. Ugh, so good. I mean, we've heard Summer. That's uh, That was off of uh, Injustice's Twitter feed. Yeah. So at least there is a comment about it. So it seems like it'll come at some point, but yeah, I don't know who's really going to care at that and I'm point. St- I'm still waiting for a comment on the Batman Arkham Origins DLC that is on the pa- it's mentioned on the packaging for every version of the game except for the Wii U version uh, for the trailer and uh, like that the box art that was launched alongside the trailer yeah. at the beginning of this week. Here we go. Well, yeah. probably... So who knows? I just I don't get it. Like other games have DLC, it doesn't doesn't seem to be the best implemented system, but it works. Yeah, I mean, just purchase it through the eShop. I mean, it doesn't seem that, uh, that yeah. difficult, but... War- I don't know, maybe Warner's putting all their Wii U energy into the DC Scribblenauts game. To be fair, that does look pretty great. I, I just want to know if it's going to have, like, Russian Martian Batman in it, if that'll actually work. Oh, man. I really... I Like, if they go totally off the rails with that Scribblenauts game... It'll be fantastic. And I you, mean, know, that's the, you know they will. I mean, you've got Cthulhu in the regular, so like, why yeah. aren't you going to have the most obscure DC reference in there? And I think, I, I think especially from what, like, you know, for example, Warner Brothers did with the DC characters in Injustice, which even though it was basically, like, you know, a, a comic book story um, as far as, like, with the alternate worlds and everything, um, they were kind of ballsy with what happened in that. Like, Superman kills Lois Lane. Like, a that's ridiculous. Yeah, like, that's really messed up. And, okay, I hope they don't do that in Scribblenauts, but <laughs> I think it won't be like how, you know, in Scribblenauts on, uh, what is it? It was Scribblenauts Unlimited um, on Wii U last year. With that, you could have, like, Mario and stuff in it, but you couldn't really do anything with them. You could have, like, Mario fight Bowser, but that was about it. If you can have stuff, and it seems like they're going to do it, where you can do crazy stuff with Batman and have them interact with all these different characters, like, that would be so awesome. And I really, I've never enjoyed the Scribblenauts games that much outside of the basic concept at uh, that first E3 when it was revealed. But Scribblenauts Unlimited was one of my favorite Wii U games. It is, to date, the only Wii U game that I own that I have completely 100%ed. I really enjoyed that game. That's crazy. Yeah, I think there'll be a lot of that. I mean, apart from even Injustice, I, I don't think you've played it yet, but I always mention it as uh, Lego Batman 2. Uh has yeah, a great storyline and that, great writing and, and a lot of It just came attention. out on Wii U today. There you go. Well, uh, you should download it. May 21st. It. You want to know something crazy uh, for all you all you sports fans out there? We actually got a review code for that game. That's the first uh, Wii U retail review code we have gotten. Oh, instead of like actually getting the physical yeah. product. Oh, okay. So are you, you are you reviewing it then? You're going to download no, it? No, uh, Guillaume should be reviewing it. Oh, okay. I'm curious. I'll, I have a feeling I'll probably check that game out. How how much is it? Do we know? Is it full price? Talk about something else. We'll come back to it in a minute. Okay. 
Sounds good. Was there anything uh, else from that direct? I don't think there was. Uh, the only last thing was the little tease that they're going to announce more stuff before E3, which then Nintendo of America tweeted that they'll be talking like 3D Mario, Smash Brothers, all that stuff. And then um, they commented that Reggie came on and was talking that during the week of E3, you can play game demos at Best Buy in Canada and America. So that's pretty cool. So we'll get stuff announced, and then we can go to our local Best Buys and play it. Or it might just be that same old Rayman demo. You never really know. <laughs> it's just a new Rayman demo. <laughs> it's just a challenge mode. Yeah. When they say Canada and the U.S., do they actually mean all of Canada? Because... I can think of three cities where I know they'll show up, but I don't think they're going to show up in mine. Well, like, I think when, when even Reggie said it, he was like, it'll be at over 100 stores. And yeah, actually, we've got the quote in the story here. Yeah, over 100 stores, which there's got to be a lot more Best Buys across Canada and the U.S. than 100. So, yeah, you might need to go to some of the uh, the bigger cities to get those. I don't know. Yeah, I think I don't think I'm going to be able to get the time off work to go to Montreal, which is the most likely <laughs> candidate to actually have a Best Buy demo. Yeah. Well, oh well. <laughs> I mean, I have a feeling you're not going to have like a ton of um uh, of demos available like a ton of different games, but I think you'll probably have like Mario Kart and maybe that 3D Mario. Which I mean, I think that's pretty cool that they're doing that. That's something that everyone always asks for. And now they're finally going to do it. Yeah, it's a good idea. Although now it's a case of why don't you put it on the e- on the eShop? Sounds yeah, like, for sure. Yeah, so, now, sounds a lot like greedy bastards. I don't know if that's something where they're worried like people will download it and then somehow like break into the code or something and like find things they're not supposed to find. You know, I mean, I I don't know how likely that would be, but that's all I can think is that uh, the only reason why you wouldn't do something like that. Well, I know the the one logic for it that does make sense is that when you do go to these kind of preview events, shit crashes a whole lot. That's like, true. Like you have it's stuff lock up. And they don't want to have that in a in a way that it's presented to consumers that they'll think that oh this is crashing so that means if I get this game when it comes out it's probably going to crash all the time. That's true. Which makes a, a whole lot of sense in all honesty, and that's probably also why these are going to be in store because they they still might crash, but at least they'll be in store and not at home. And yeah. and they can likely have somebody on site who could be you didn't see that and just hit the reset button yeah. or unplug right. the machine and and they. They said only some of the games. They didn't say every game announced would be playable at Best Buy. So you know the games that are still a little buggy aren't going to be there. It's going to be the Surefire stuff that's already been in development for a while that they have a, a really good running, you know, demo of. So. so Lego Batman 2 on Wii U looks like it's either 40 or 50 bucks. Uh, mm. Amazon hasn't listed for $50, but is currently on sale for thirty nine ninety nine. So I don't know if it was originally listed for 50 and is actually 40 or if it's going to be 50 and it's just on sale on Amazon. Ah, okay. That's unfortunate that it's full price. For I forty would be the yeah. highest I would tell you to get it. Um, not any against anything of the quality, but you can just get it cheaper now for sure on other platforms. Yeah, so. it's twenty bucks on uh, whatchamacallit. It's it's twenty bucks PS3, on pretty on much every other yeah. system. Yeah, so I'd go that route. But um, yeah, great game, and yeah, you really need to play Neil as a DC fan. Yeah, I, I think it's something that I'm going to keep an eye out and look for a deal, kind of like I did with Injustice, where I got it for almost half price. Yeah, there you go. That's the way to do it. All right, well, that was it, I believe, from the uh, Nintendo Direct, so not too bad. Um, so let's talk some shit about some Xbox One. <laughs> I could give two shits about that system, in all honesty. <laughs> I think 
My only interest in it, and it's weird because uh, for the first part of it, I didn't check Twitter at all. I was just following a live blog because um, I was at work. So I just had it like I was working on one screen and would check the live blog every minute or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of stuff that they were saying in the beginning as far as like, you know, this is how we're going to integrate stuff, you know, have Skype and, you know, using Connect. You can actually say Xbox on. You can use it to do stuff with TV and Netflix and all that jazz. That spoke to me because that's how I use my 360 right now. My 360 is used to, like, I don't know, um, I will soon play Monaco with local multiplayer. Um, I play Spelunky on it. And then I watch Netflix, HBO Go, and Hulu. Yeah. Um, that, that is what I use my 360 for at this point and really almost nothing else. Um, so from that angle, like, when it gets cheaper, I will totally get it as my media device because as dumb as Connect is, the voice commands are pretty great. And I don't see Sony or Nintendo doing that with their systems, at least as far as the level of integration that Microsoft has with Connect. I don't see them doing that. Yeah, um, you've got the new, like, crazy updated Connect that's supposed to be even yeah. even better and, and, and more thorough than the original. Um which makes sense. I think everyone thought that that might be a possibility that that would be bundled with the system, and it's a good move. I mean, it's it's what made the Wii Remote so successful. It wasn't a, an add-on that only some people yeah. had. It came in the box, so everyone has it, so you can design things that use it. Um, pretty crazy that it sounds like you have to have it connected at all times, and it will like record <laughs> things about you. Yeah, and then, like, it's creepy. Keep them the on the system and send on. it back to Microsoft. Yeah. Very, uh, the, very creepy there. My living arrangement right now is such that I can't do a camera. So, like, at least not from the original Connect range. I, I've tested it, it doesn't work. Probably the same with the PS4s, but uh, there were three deal breakers for me going into this. One of them was that Connect would be required, and then the mm-hmm. other two, which came out afterwards, were the checking in once a day and you have to install the games, and if you try to bring them to a friend's house, they have to buy the game. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty much a deal-breaker for me, too, although it seems to be something that's fluid right now, even right before we started recording. Uh, someone mentioned to me on Twitter that, like, apparently you can play used games and not have to pay for it. I have no idea at this point. I think Microsoft has just had a complete clusterfuck as far as that messaging. Um, and And for me, it's not that I always buy used games, but not having the option just kind of bothers me also from a game preservation standpoint, in addition to like, you know, I just got sports champions on PS3 cause I got a move on clearance. I got it off of eBay for $4. If I did that with the Xbox one, I would get a disc that then I would have to input a code and then pay for the game again, apparently mm-hmm. or not input a code, but put in the disc and then have to pay for the game. Right. Purchase the rights to, to play the game. Yep. Which to me, as far as I can tell, is that if I bought a disc for the Xbox One, I would put it into my system, install the game, and then break the disc in half, because there's no point to have it anymore. <laughs> yeah, and, the, and my problem is that I a lot of the games that I got, especially last year, were from trades. So having this block system in place is just going to make it harder for me to buy games for any system, let alone yeah. know, potential Xbox. And and the fact that it's, you know, Blu-ray drive, so we're talking 25 gig games on a 500 yep. gig hard drive that you can't expand. Real smooth. Yep. Here comes fridge cleaning again, folks. <laughs> yep. It's back. And it's it's ridiculous because you 500 gigabytes, that's huge, but these games are much bigger. 
yeah. and you have to install them. It's not like, you know, my Vita, I only have, whatever, 16 gigs, but I can get cards, cards if I want to. It's just at this point, I'm just fridge cleaning because I don't want to spend any more money on the ridiculously priced memory cards. Yeah. Even yeah. even when I get my Wii U, I've got a 500 gig hard drive that I'll be putting into it. But if I want to change it down the road, you know, the, with the last update, I can do that and just copy the data onto yep. a two gig onto a two terabyte or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I might have to hit you up as to what brand you got because I should get one of those. I, I I'm still only rocking the. The included amount for the Wii U. Yeah, mine. Yeah, um, same I don't here. know if you if you looked into what ones would work with the system because I've just been lazy and haven't done that yet. I've got just it's just it's an old hard drive that I've had lying around for about five years now, so it's so it's probably going to be slow, but the Wii U slows it is. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. It, um, it just seems to work. It makes sense. Yeah, it's yeah they belong together because <laughs> it's five year old technology anyway. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't know, Xbox One, yeah, just really weird, just a lot of weird things came out after the conference, um, that just make you skeptical, like, we're talking about... Well, the about... conference also had a very small focus on games, which I think was to be expected. They did make the comment that, you know, they're going to be talking more about games at E3. And right, we're still was... only a few weeks away, and, it's not like it's a big and, Yeah, and we all could have guessed that, oh, Microsoft's going to focus on entertainment stuff, because that's what they've done at every E3 press conference for the past, like, four years. Yeah. Um, but the games that they showed, just, like, I've been kind of harping on this, and when we do our eventual bonus segment about some of the summer movies, uh, I will have a pretty clear example, in that Iron Man 3 was a very exciting movie, because it did some, it took some risks. Star Trek Into Darkness just became a movie that I've seen over and over again and it was poorly executed. And that's what I'm kind of, like, bummed out about Nintendo's potential fall lineup is that, okay, the 3D Mario will probably blow my hair back, but Mario Kart on Wii U, like, I've played Mario Kart before, like, Wii Fit U, Wii U Party, I've beaten Wind Waker several times, like, I'll, I'll still get that, but it's not exciting. And every game that was shown at the Xbox One conference, it was... A new Call of Duty, which, if you're into that, that's great. Um, I mean, the game did look very nice. It's just that it's not my bag. And then they showed sports games. And, I, it, yes, I can tell they're better, but do I see how that makes the games way better? No. No, I don't. Yeah, but that that was sort of revealing as to why we aren't seeing any EA Sports games on the yeah. EU right now. It, it seems like, um, you know, Microsoft and EA have definitely formed a little partnership there. Um, so there was definitely that. My my problem with the yeah. conference is that since I don't live in the United States, none of that media stuff. Okay, maybe Netflix will work. That's it. Yep. So for me, it comes down to what games they're going to be, and it's sports games, which I haven't bought since the Super Nintendo era, <laughs> and Call of Duty, which sure the dog looked nice, but I don't. <laughs> play a lot of shooters so what? that that dog became the hero of the day yes. yeah the dog was great i mean well i mean my thing is going off of the sports games and also call of duty is if you own an xbox 360 or ps3 why the hell would you buy a an xbox one or a ps4 to play call of duty or like madden or fifa when you can just get that game on 360 or ps3 something about like, exclusive I, dlc on the for the Call of Duty, yeah, that's it. they'll do something like that, and they, they've got they've got the new engine for the all the EA Sports games. So they'll say, sure, Madden's out on 360, but look at it on Xbox One. I don't know how much that'll matter this year because it's coming out later. 
But next year, for sure, I think will be the, the year when people are jumping over and they're offering a lot more uh, exclusive content to the next next gen versions. Um, so I think that's where you'll see a lot of that. You know, it's kind of funny. I was tweeting before the reveal started that I think Microsoft's done a really good job of making themselves sort of synonymous with third-party games. Um, they don't have a lot of great first-party content outside of something like Halo um, and maybe Gears of War, if that's your bag. But, like, I, I feel like most people who aren't, I don't, I hate the term hardcore gamers, but you, you play a lot of video games across all platforms. Like, to them, Xbox is where you go to play Madden and Call of Duty. And then to see the press conference where they basically just focused on Madden and Call of Duty, these third-party games, it was kind of like, well, yeah, that's that's their thinking, too. Like, they want that in people's minds, that th- this is the system you go to to play these games, even though they're available on other platforms. Oh, I, yeah, and definitely. Some, something <laughs> that just popped up that really frightens me about the new Kinect, they're ripping off the Vitality sensor. Apparently... The, oh, yeah, yeah, the heartbeat thing. Yes. I, did, I did hear about that right before we recorded. Yeah, Dan, oh, really? Yeah, I just saw Danny tweeting about it. So. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, it's just... It's, it's just weird. Um, I said in the roundtable that you can read on the website of, you know, a bunch of staffers talking about it. It seemed like Sony looked at what Nintendo did with the Wii U and was like, okay, they, they screwed up in some places. Let's try to not do what they did. And Sony, while I'm still not like, you know, gonna day one get a PS4, their, their console reveal was pretty solid. What I see with Microsoft is it's like they looked at what, what Nintendo did with Wii U, which, failed completely and they're just like we can do that better we're microsoft (laughs) and they went and just like did the same thing but with my microsoft attitude and you know what probably the tv stuff in microsoft hands is going to be way better but the game stuff is not like i'm curious to see what they're they're what is it 15 exclusives and eight new ips i'm I'm curious to see what they're going to be sounds like Um, Four connectable spinoffs, three shooter franchises, yeah. and maybe they bring back Killer Instinct. Yeah, there is a there is a rumor that Rare is working on something from an old franchise that seems to be people talking about Killer Instinct, Banjo, or uh, Perfect Dark. I was going to say Jet Force Gemini would be an interesting change for them. Yeah, I don't really know. I, I think Rare owns... I mean, if they do have Banjo-Kazooie, then I assume they have everything that they worked on that wasn't a direct Nintendo character. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess they would have to. Um, I mean, that's kind of the wild card for it, is that if Rare uses the old franchises that I have fond memories of and makes a good game, that will make me a lot more interested in the Xbox One, because when Rare actually made games that weren't for Kinect, like Viva Pinata, Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts, even Cameo, um, they were all pretty solid games, and I enjoyed all of those games. Even Perfect Dark Zero at the time was fun. Eh, at the time even? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, at at the time, I hadn't really played a multiplayer, multiplayer, online multiplayer shooter of that caliber. And you it had, like, Halo support 2. for... Well, even still with Halo 2, is that Perfect Dark had the ability to use bots. Yeah, along, I guess so. like online as well, if memory does serve me correctly. It, um, yeah, and I, it and I did get a 360 at launch as well. So that's also the kind of like this is one of the three games at launch. Like, <laughs> it's this the future great. of games. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I will admit that Perfect Dark Zero has aged like crap, but for like two or three months, it was okay. Yeah, I guess so. 
just love the first one so much. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. We'll, we'll know a lot more at E3. Um, maybe we'll get some answers to questions. And who knows, maybe all this used game stuff, maybe this is things we're just sort of throwing out there, getting reaction, and it's stuff that can still totally change. Um, I mean, we're a while off from the system, so it's not like they've already started printing games or anything. So it might not be too difficult for them to say, okay, forget the, you know, the codes to play games and the one-time use, and you got to download, you know, a another code and pay a lot of money to play used games. Let's just scrap that. Um, yeah, it doesn't seem like anything cemented, which is maybe why they're not talking in definites and like in, in concrete, uh, concrete wording yet. And you know? probably why that they had this press conference two or three weeks before E3 to begin with. Because they still don't know what they've got. Right. So yeah. I think I think the message will be a lot more focused come E3, and we'll see some games, and we'll go from there. But this this outing definitely wasn't the uh, the most impressive. Yeah, I was really surprised, especially after seeing Sony and having like two months to prepare. Yep, yep. Uh, this did not go so well. I don't think. I, yeah, I, yeah, and we'll actually we'll have a little representation at the Microsoft press conference come E3. For some reason, a couple of us got invites. So. <laughs> oh, really? Nice. Because it's like I mean, the only thing that really kind of, I guess, overlaps with it is the EA press conference, which I made the comment in an E3 email thread being like, it probably makes just as much sense for us to go to the Microsoft press conference, if not more, than the EA one. Yeah, that's true. Maybe they're trying to, like, replace you with pod people, and they're going to try to make you turn this into Xbox World Report. It's it's not going to happen. They've got an uphill battle, but I think uh, I think we'll probably be split. Well, I think we'll have, like, three or four people at the Microsoft event, a couple people at EA, and then we'll all converge at Ubisoft. The press conference. Please tell me Which we're going to write Xbox One impressions on Nintendo World of War. I mean, we probably won't have impressions, but we might have just, like, we went to the press conference and here are our thoughts. Probably yeah. much like we just posted our thoughts now. Right. So how was the Usher concert? The Usher oh, I concert. can't wait. I can't <laughs> wait for the Usher concert. Although apparently Activision's doing another big ridiculous event for anybody that remembers the big ridiculous event, I think, from E3 2010. The one... Where they took out... They, t- they took out the entire Staples Center, and it was basically, like, the most expensive concert I've ever witnessed. The one that allegedly cost $775 million. Yeah, which I don't really doubt, because they rented out the entire Staples Center. I'm trying to think of who was there. They had, I think Usher was there. They had Will I Am. Um, dudes from Muse there? I think Dudes from Muse were there. They had, like, a choir. They had a girl dancing on a pole. Um, Tony Hawk was supposed to, like, go off a ramp in the Staples Center, but they, like, it didn't, when they were practicing it beforehand, it didn't work, so it just came out and was just like, Tony Hawk shred! <laughs> and then, like, walked away. They realized um, that Tony Hawk's, like, 50 years old now and probably yeah. shouldn't be going down any ramps, you know? <laughs> Uh, there, there were, there was even more ridiculous stuff, but I, I, I can't think of who it was. Oh, uh, I think Jane's Addiction was there, but Jane's Addiction is just, like, at every E3. I think I've passed by the lead singer at least two or three times. At separate E3s. He's always just, like, around booths. I think he just goes there because it's fun. And he can get in, and why not? Yeah, and they're like, we need a band. Let's get Jane's Addiction. I'm sure they're cheap. Yeah, I would think so. (laughs) Well, there you go. I guess that's our thoughts on the Xbox One. We'll see. Uh, We'll get first first impressions from Neil Ronan, who will play the system, it sounds like, at E3. So... Well, I mean, I don't, I don't think they'll have the system playable at the press conference, but... Well, not the con- I guess not, but on the floor, yeah. maybe. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll probably all be checking it out at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise, there's not that many Nintendo games to cover. 
Yeah, sounds yeah. like it. I mean, we're working on the game list of what we expect to be at E3, and it's kind of depressing. There'll be something announced yeah. right before I mean, end, for, but... for Nintendo, there will be a lot, but at third other booths, party, like, yeah. most of our appointments with third parties are like, there's a game. Yeah. Like, and that's it. Like, hey guys, guess what? Square Enix, Deus Ex, is gonna be at E3. Yeah, when is that game Anything finally else? coming out? <laughs> Who knows? So you're Maybe gonna... we'll find out at E3. So half the team's gonna be camping on the Nintendo booth for three days? That's basically what we do. <laughs> year in, year out. I mean, I guess I guess we are pulling back the curtain on E3 slightly, but we usually don't even really have any appointments on Tuesday because we're just at the Nintendo booth the whole time. Yeah, that day, that first day. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, there you go. Nintendo Direct, Xbox yep, One. Yep. Hooray! <laughs> we'll know more in a few right. weeks about both, I guess. So. Yep. Yep. Well, um, to Donald and Scott, it was uh, fun talking to you guys. Absolutely. And, uh, Thanks for having me on. I'm on the Donald. regular show for once. Yeah, you yeah. moved up. <laughs> and since you also don't like the Grand Theft Auto games and open world games in general, uh, we'll have to have you back. <laughs> because uh, I do nothing but align myself with people that have the same feelings as I do. It's a good way to live. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> uh, There's something I'll mention as well that you can catch me regularly podcasting at nintendofreeradio.podbean.com it's a podcast for and by the nwr forums right down to having a now posted section always fun <laughs> yeah and, we, and we've we'll probably have one if not two episodes coming out in the next week to 10 days from awesome yeah well, there you go, with, with uh, NWR Stafford, JP. Uh, yeah, those, we'll, right? we'll be taping that one this weekend. Our edits, because we have lives, are a little bit longer than normal, so mm-hmm. that one will probably be coming out just before E3. Okay. All right. Thanks very much. Thanks again for All having right. me, though. And Awesome. If you need me again, yeah. you know how to get a hold of me. Of course. <laughs> just shine your signal up into the sky. Yeah. <laughs> a maple leaf. Shine it near Halifax and pray. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See you guys later. Thanks. Bye. Bye. And that will do it for episode 87 of Connectivity. As always, you can send us listener mail to connectivity at nintendoworldreport.com. If you get a chance to rate and review us on iTunes, that would be awesome. And you should definitely follow all of us on Twitter. Go to NintendoWorldReport.com and check the Twitter sidebar on the right side of the page to find all of our handles. And I'll be sure to stick around for two bonus segments, one about uh, space travel and rocket design with Dr. Jonathan Metz, and then a reaction to the Doctor Who season finale. See you next week.
everyone, and welcome to this bonus segment of Connectivity. I'm Scott Thompson, and today I'm with Dr. Jonathan Metz. Howdy! And we are once again going to talk all about space. All right. Uh, this one will be a little different than the uh, the past few. Uh, we don't really have any listener questions, so what we've done is uh, Johnny sent me over a quiz. You said this, you gave this to college sophomores, is that correct? Yeah, I posted this quiz on uh, Twitter and Facebook, and if you haven't seen it yet and you want to play along um, on the uh, – we'll, we'll put the link in the connectivity article as well as the uh, post on Crosstalk. Um, and so when you listen to this, if you want to play along with these these little questions, uh, you know, you can go to the go to the place where you found the podcast and you'll find a link there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what we're going to do is because obviously Johnny will know all the answers like the back of his hand. <laughs> uh, the question is whether I can remember. <laughs> I first wrote this quiz back in 2007 and then I was a, t- I was a graduate teacher um, at, in college and then two years later – I was asked to give my two lectures on – I gave two lectures on rocket science as part of a bigger course on vehicle design, aerospace vehicle design. And uh, and I had done my master's on, on rocketry, and so my advisor asked if I would give a couple lectures. I was like, yeah, awesome, because as a TA, you spend most of your time like grading papers and right. you know, kind of facilitating labs and stuff like that. And I was excited for a chance to teach. And it's, I thought this was, you know, a, a perfect fit for me. Um, and, of course, it ended up being a ton of work, and I had to study. I actually had to pretty much re- reteach myself all the stuff I used to know really well. Um, <laughs> because when you get a bunch of, like, extremely ambitious, um, you know, sophomores coming up to you, like, trying to pick apart every single question you write to try to find a way to make their answer count, yeah, you really got to know your stuff, and that's a lesson I learned very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well, even the, the the grading system on this quiz I like. So if you get it correct, you get uh, a point. If you get it wrong, you lose half a point. And if you don't answer all, you get zero points. So it's like it's a little bit of a game. Like if you're not a hundred percent sure, it might be better off for you to just not answer at all than to make an incorrect guess. That's true. Um, and those aren't my rules. Those are the rules of the class. So this oh, is okay. this quiz uh, was something we call a unit quiz, and the idea is that. There'd be some assigned reading in the textbook, which of course you didn't have. So that, you know, that that would help some. Um, it would at least introduce you to some of these topics. It wouldn't necessarily give you all the answers that you need here. But the point of the unit quiz was that it takes like five minutes to fill it out, uh, and you do it right at the beginning of class, and then you spend maybe half an hour, maybe the entire rest of the lecture time going over all the questions. So it was graded, but it didn't count for very much at all. Uh, the main reason it was great is just so that people would actually try. Uh, but uh, but basically, you weren't really expected to get all of them correctly. It was more to generate discussion. And, you know, I would watch these professors go through and spend well over an hour going through these. It's not We're not going to take that long. I actually cut a lot of the questions out. <laughs> um, but it, 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 again, it's not, you're not really expected to get all the, go, get all these correct. It's supposed to kind of test your ability to reason through, um, and at least explain your answer and, you know, and, and sort of ping it. And, the, and because of that, the questions do tend to be written in kind of a tricky way. Um, but they're, they're trying to test certain concepts and, you know, it's not very fair to give this to you because you haven't had the reading <laughs> material and the rest of the class. So, you know, uh, it's not about whether you get it right or wrong. So it's just to generate discussion. I think I thought these were really fun topics that people might, you know, find interesting. This isn't going to go down to my like permanent record at NWR. Or oh anything. no, my report card. That's good. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I don't know if I explained it, but so I'm going to read the questions and then I'm going to do my best to answer them, and then Johnny will tell me why I'm wrong. Um, that is the or, game we are playing. Why you're uh, right. So these are all true or false. <laughs> you got a, yeah. you got at least a fifty fifty shot if you just guess, and it, and then if you try to reason through it. 
you might actually make your chances worse because they're so tricky. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, the, like looking at these, there's only a few I think I could actually reason through. Mm. Some of these I just have no idea. But let's get started, All shall right. we? Uh, so number one on the list, one I will not be able to reason uh, reason through, I don't think. Uh, the common form of Newton's second law, F equals M times A, which is force equals mass times acceleration, d- does not apply, in parentheses, except instantaneously, to a rocket while it's being fired. So the common fa- form of Newton's second law, force equals mass times acceleration, does not apply to a rocket while it's being fired. Oh, man. Is there anything that, that F equals MA does not apply to? That's sort of what this is asking. I don't know. Like, my, my gut says no. I mean, that it should apply to to everything. I mean, maybe if, like, if gravity was out of the equation, maybe something that might screw with things. But it might, my gut's saying that that would be false, that it would apply to everything. So there, the parent, the little parenthetical thing here, except instantaneously, is a, a dead giveaway that this question has been modified since the original version because originally it didn't have that. And, of course, uh, I got a lot of people coming up and complaining because they said, oh, well, in this case. So, anyway, the, the answer to this is true. Okay. Uh, Newton's second law, F equals MA, which is kind of like first day of physics, right? This is basic Newtonian physics. It's that, you know, the force on, on something is equal to the mass times acceleration. So, um, if you have something, um, in order to accelerate it to, you know, in, in whatever way you want, you have to apply a certain force to it. So, in other words, your weight equals your mass times gravity, which is the acceleration. Right. And that's how weight is calculated. Um, the crazy thing about rockets, and, and this is a big trip up for people who are trying to do like rocket uh, calculations, you know, on performance and stuff like that, um, is that you would think this applies to everything because you're taught it's kind of like this fundamental law of the universe. But the, the problem is that F equals MA is really not the purest form of Newton's second law. Newton's second law is really the time derivative of momentum. And momentum, I don't know if you remember this, uh, Scott, you probably would learn it about the same time as F equals MA, but momentum is is mass times velocity. Mm-hmm. Yep. So if you take the yeah, so if you take the time derivative of that, usually you would say so I'm not gonna get in a cal- in a calculus, don't worry, but usually <laughs> you would say, well, mass is constant in virtually everything. And so the derivative of velocity is acceleration, and that's where you get MA. Um <clears throat> In, in the case of a rocket, because as a rocket operates, it's throwing mass out of the back. That's essentially all a rocket is. It's a, it's a thing that throws mass out of the back for the purpose of going in the opposite direction. So because of that, the mass of a rocket changes, is always changing. If, if the mass weren't changing, it wouldn't be a rocket. Right. So you can't use F equals MA. It only applies like force for a given like snapshot in time, but that's not really very useful in most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you if you let mass be variable as it is in a rocket and changing over time, then you get a much more complicated form of the equation once you do that derivative, and it it turns out to be this thing we call Tsiolkovsky's uh, rocket equation, uh, which Konstantin Tsiolkovsky, a Russian physicist, uh, derived back about a hundred years ago, and that is the fundamental equation of rocket performance. And it's it's just Newton's second law. It's just a version of it that most people never see. 
So sure. Sorry, the mo- that's uh, that's a little <laughs> more theoretical than most of these questions. No, but... it's okay. I focused more on on like thinking the equation itself and not the structure of the question. Like yeah. now that you point that out, if I had really like focused it on the parent parentheticals there, I, I should have figured that out. Yeah. But... The the only reason I I left that one in there is because I think the whole F equals M A thing is something most people learn in high school, if not maybe you know first year of college, like I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that you just take for granted, um, but you have to you have to remember where that equation actually comes from. And there's a step that most people skip to get there, and that sure. step is usually it's usually fine to skip it, but in the case of rockets, it's not. Right, and that equation is literally called ro- the rocket equation. Yes, yeah, it's, it's the rocket equation. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. <laughs> the best equation name I've ever heard of. <laughs> um, you know, I, I know you said the, the guy's name, um, and maybe you always couple it with that, but just knowing it's called the rocket equation. If you say the rocket great. equation, everybody, you know, any, any, any rocket scientist, any aerospace engineer will know what you're talking about. That's great. All right, well, let's move on to the second one here. So I'm, I'm down half a point. Uh, because of inertia and lack of friction, you can fire a rocket in space once and maintain that acceleration indefinitely after the propellant is all used up. Hmm... Now I, I I do think there would there would be constant movement. I don't know that you would ever you I don't think you would ever stop, but the fact that you say that acceleration indefinitely makes me think that this is another kind of red herring that I don't know if that acceleration would continue indefinitely. Like maybe you would I don't know, lack of inertia and friction, like what would slow you down? Why would you slow down? Um I guess maybe the contents inside of the rocket, maybe moving around could kind of maybe I don't know. Man. This one's tricky. <laughs> I'm going to say, whew, I'll say false. I, I I think maybe your acceleration would change at some point. Ah, uh, you're a very smart man, Scott. Whew. Good. Yeah, that's a, that's perfect reasoning. You're exactly right. Um, it's it's the fact it's the word acceleration that's wrong here. So, this comes back to you know when I was a kid and I learned about space, you know, and I learned the way things move in space, or at least you know a very basic concept of it. Mm-hmm. I was fascinated by the idea that you could throw a baseball in space and it would just go forever in that direction unless you, you know, that's, you know, unless you, you know, whatever. That's the, that's Newton's first law. It's basically the definition of inertia. So as you start something moving, the only way to stop it from moving is to apply some kind of force. Um, but moving is not the same as accelerating. So the, this would be true if you change that word to speed, velocity, speed. So you can, you can, well, rocket, you, it burns and it accelerates and accelerates and accelerates and then it runs out of fuel and then it stops accelerating. That doesn't mean it stops moving. It'll keep going in that direction forever at whatever that final speed is. Um, and that's why we, a lot of times we'll talk about um, rocket performance in terms of delta V, which is just the change in speed from before you fire it to after you fire it. But the acceleration is very temporary. It's only while it's burning. Mm-hmm. And it, you can't you can't accelerate it forever because then you'd have to have a force that would be for all time. And <clears throat> excuse me, and there, there's nothing like that except gravity. And gravity doesn't. Well, anyway, that gets that gets really confusing <laughs> for me as well. But uh, yeah, you know that's how you get orbits. Anyway, yeah, you're you're exactly right. Basically, the 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 friction would be its own force that would cause you to accelerate in the opposite direction. So that would slow you down. And there is friction in space, but there's so little that it's hard to even measure it um, once you get, you know, away from Earth, away from a planet. So it's really not, um, not, not really a factor. But yeah, I mean, you'll you'll go forever. You just won't keep accelerating. You just uh, you hit some terminal velocity and then kind of stick around there, yeah, yep, for forever. 
forever. <laughs> as forever, far as ever, ever. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move on to number three then. Uh, another one I'm just going to have to really guess at. The, efi- the efficiency of a cold gas rocket can be increased by heating up the propellant, i.e. hot gas rocket. Let me, let me just give you a little background because this was a yes, topic please. that was covered in the reading <laughs> before the students took this, this quiz. Okay. A cold gas rocket just means, uh, let's say you take a balloon up to space and then you open the, you know, the, the mouth of the balloon and all the air escapes out. It's just cold gas. Okay. So, and that is, and that is a kind of rocket basically because the mass of the air that's inside of it will leave and then it will push the balloon in the opposite direction that the gas leaves. Okay. So it, it is, I mean, it meets every classical definition of a rocket. It's not a very sexy rocket. It's just a balloon. <laughs> Uh, but if you can make a balloon that could actually hold up to the temperatures and everything of space, then yeah, it would, to- it would totally work, it w- and, it, and it would go in the opposite direction. So that's a coal gas rocket. And this is just saying, what if you heated up that air before you let it go out? Could you make that a better rocket? Could you improve the performance of it? Oh man, I, I mean, I've gone false twice, but I think I, I almost gotta go false again. I mean, I, I don't see. I mean, I guess not knowing the you know what air or gas is used, I don't see why increasing the temperature would have a, a better effect, I guess. Mm. But I'm probably wrong, so go ahead and tell me why. Well, this one's true, and it, it comes down to sort of what is temperature. I mean, temperature is a measure of how much energy is in something, how okay. much thermal energy, you know, heat, how much heat is in it. So if you heat something up and you increase the temperature, now it has more energy. And in the case of a rocket, you're turning whatever kind of energy is inside of that thing into, you know, kinetic energy, into movement when you when you release all that out. So the more energy you add to it by any method you want, including just heating it up, it will increase the performance there. So in, in my balloon example, yeah, if you had some kind of like electric heater inside of it that would heat up that gas before it blew out the other side, you would get more thrust out of it, basically. Um, and it sounds like a really great... Uh, thing to do but in in effect we don't really use cold gas rockets very much because they're not they're not very strong mm-hmm. um, but there are hot gas rockets i mean there are like satellites that use hot gases they'll use like helium or something and they'll just have a tank of it and then every time they want to spit it out and adjust the attitude a little bit they'll heat it up a lot before they spit it out because they can they can heat it up with solar energy which is kind of free right if they have solar <laughs> cells they can get the sure. heat for free um and then they improve their performance. But it comes down to like, you know, whatever you're using to heat this thing up, how much does it weigh? Is it really kind of in the long run? Is it worth sending that up there? Do you just use, just do it without that and take the hit? Uh, but yeah, this, this one is totally true. If you, usually what we do is you have a chemical reaction, like in a, you know, like in a space shuttle kind of uh, rocket, like a booster rocket. You, you increase the energy and the stuff going out by making it, by causing a chemical reaction. It makes it basically explode, and then you just shoot the explosion out in one direction. But you can do it just by heating it up. You could do it by stirring it if you had kind of a mechanical spoon in there that just kind of stirred it all up. That would do it, mm-hmm. too. You can add any kind of energy you want to it, and it, it, will, make, it will improve the performance. Huh. Well, all right. There you go. Well, what about then, like, here on Earth, like you were using the balloon example? I mean... I mean, I guess, I how would you heat up the air in a balloon? Like, would that make a balloon, like, blow away faster? Like in know. a hot air balloon? Oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. It worked, yeah. <laughs> Good example. A hot air balloon is, is, actually works on a different principle. It's not a rocket. Yeah. Because um, uh, the, the air that you're heating up in a hot air balloon is really coming in from outside the balloon, and it's, oh, that's being, right. it's being sucked in by the yeah. change in density. 
Um, but hot air, hot air balloon really works on a hydrostatic principle. It's just um, the air inside the balloon weighs less than the air outside the balloon, and so it causes it to rise because of gravity. But that wouldn't work sure. in space. Right, right. Because there's no gravity. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, all right, let's move on to number four. I'm at zero points now. Not bad. Uh, <laughs> I'll actually take it, and I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. Uh, space shuttle launches are environmentally safe because the combustion of liquid H2 and O2 produces only water. That's hydrogen and oxygen, H2 right. and O2. And, that, and those are the fuels in space shuttle main engine. Huh. So I didn't know that. That's interesting. Um, environmentally safe because they produce only water. Well, water is obviously H2O. You have an extra O there. I don't know if that's a big deal. But now it's, you know, this is the same thing where it's like the word. It produces only water. But, oh, man. I'll say it does produce water. Well, yeah, sure. I would imagine... It's just the, the caveat of only water. Uh, well, let's, okay. let's, let's, let's strip all I'll that say, out. Do you think space shuttle launches were environmentally safe? <laughs> well, they don't appear to be. I see lots of smoke <laughs> and things. <laughs> so I guess I'll say no. <laughs> you are correct. <laughs> uh, there, there aren't very many environmentally safe rocket launches. There might be some that are better than others, sure. but none of them are. Because the amount of heat that you produce is generally not good for the things close by. <laughs> Nearby, yeah. Fauna. <laughs> yeah, so this one is false for about ten different reasons. But, like, okay. the, the main ones would be the heat, definitely. The noise actually is a big problem. Like, where the space shuttle launch out of Florida, the noise would disrupt, like, the bird life nearby and the fish um, and, you know, the humans as well to some extent. So there's noise pollution that's, you know, arguably damaging to the environment. Mm-hmm. Um much bigger thing is that the so so two things about the actual rocket stuff. So the space shuttle uses two different kinds of rockets during launch. It has this liquid uh, main engine that does burn hydrogen and oxygen and does produce mostly water, but it doesn't burn perfectly. Partly for the reason you said, actually, you were kind of right on point with that. And you burn H two and O two. Where does that other O go? Well. Right. It depends. So they, they produce water molecules in a certain ratio to the number that you put in there. Um, but if it doesn't burn just right, like at the perfect temperature, and if you don't mix them like totally smoothly, you get like a little bit of OH and H2O2 and, it, you know, all these other kinds of like sort of trace uh, molecules that aren't water. And a lot of those are pollutants. Uh-huh. Yeah. So the so you do it it does generate quite a lot of stuff that's actually not so nice even if I mean even presuming that the steam that comes out of it is okay for the environment which it's kind of not <laughs> um, but even if you presume that is safe it produces a lot of other stuff too the other other problem is space shuttles uh, used a, a wholly different kind of rocket also those white boosters that were kind of strapped onto the side of it those are solid rockets and they burn. Among other things, they have aluminum particles that are embedded into the fuel, and so and those don't really burn. They just kind of make the fuel heavier um, for performance reasons. And so you're basically spraying really, really hot aluminum particles all over the place when you burn those rockets. They're very bad for the environment. <laughs> okay. In fact, you don't really want to be within several miles of it when they go off. So, because of toxicity, because you don't want to breathe, like, vaporized aluminum. So, yeah. And a lot of other stuff they put out there, but the aluminum is probably the biggest environmental problem. So, anyway, well, we don't, we don't burn those anymore, so. 
Oh, okay. At least, well, at least not for a few years. <laughs> Has there ever been talk about launching rockets from somewhere less like inhabited, at least yeah. by people? Yeah, actually, there's a lot of reasons to do that. Um, there's a company called, I'll just try to be quick about this, but there's a company called Sea Launch, and their concept was they bought an old oil rig that was not being used anymore, and they wanted to turn it into a launch platform for rockets. And the big advantage is that they could steer it down to the equator. And when you launch from the equator, you actually get a little bit of a performance boost from the spin of the Earth. Because mm-hmm. the Earth spins, you know, relative to your your local location, the Earth spins faster at the equator than it does other places. Sure. And so um, you can get a boost. Of course, depend if you if you if you launch in the opposite direction that the Earth rotates, you don't get that boost. And that's why rockets never launch westward if they're going to space. You always launch eastward because you get that way you can take advantage of the spin of the Earth and you can get where you're going with less energy. So it's a makes a big difference. Um, but if at the equator you get a little bit of extra boost, and so they're like, well, we can market this. The problem is, it's out there floating in the middle of the ocean. It's not right. Close How do you to get anything. all the stuff out there? Exactly, it gets to be really expensive to get every get all the people and all the equipment out there to it. The other problem is. It's a it's an oil rig, so it's constantly being slammed by salty water and waves, and it goes through thunderstorms, and it it turns out to be really difficult to control the environment. And you know, it takes a certain amount of preparation to get ready for a rocket launch. And a lot of times, what they're finding is that by the time they got it out there, and then they started getting ready to launch it, it would get ruined from all this junk that's just spraying into the facility the whole time. So it's yeah. very very hard to keep it clean enough to actually do a rocket launch. So it turned out to be super expensive, and I don't know. I don't even know if that company still exists. Oof, but yeah, bad, there's... Bad, bad thing to invest in. <laughs> it, it's true, and actually Russia does launch out of a, a relatively uninhabited area in Kazakhstan. I think um, you... Yeah, I think you were talking about that last time, yeah. So, um, so you know, they, they, they do launch, and it's not uninhabited, but it's, you know, much less so. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And you also would like to launch over water, because if something goes wrong, that way the rocket falls into the water and not on, on top of a city. And that's one yeah. reason we launch off the east coast of Florida. Um, of course, Russia doesn't do that, and you know, they seem to get away with it. <laughs> no, one, no one minds, or at least yeah. says too much about in it. Soviet Russia, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so let's move to number five then. Uh, since electric rockets can be powered by solar cells, they can operate, burn, indefinitely as long as they stay in the sunlight. Uh, going back to what you were saying a little bit with number three, I'm going to say, uh, this is false because what you said with the satellites is that they use the, basically the solar cells to be able to heat up and burn, you know, some sort of gas or fuel, which would make me think that they can do that indefinitely until, but they can't, they run out of fuel eventually, I Mm. guess, to, to burn. You're right again. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, electric rockets, that's a real thing. They're called, some, some people call them electric engines, but I mean, a rocket is a kind of engine if it, depending on the fuel source. Um, but electric rockets are a real thing, either ion thrusters, ion engines, um, just like in TIE fighters in Star Wars. (laughs) Right. TIE stands for twin ion engine, and that's a technology that did not exist in the 70s, uh, but it does exist now, and it's been used. It's actually really effective. Um, it's, it doesn't make much thrust, so it's not good for carrying people, because with people you generally want to get where you're going in, let's say, less than five years. But if you've only got electronics on board and you can just put them to sleep for as long as you want, electric rockets are really great because they're super efficient. And they're getting more powerful and they're getting more efficient over time. 
Um, so there, it's a very popular technology right now. And for things like satellites and like interplanetary probes, it's awesome. And it's probably going to be a big part of the future. It's, it's really cool technology, but there's no such thing as a rocket that can burn forever. Mm -hmm. By burn, I mean, you know, it's, it's operating like it's, it's shoving stuff out of the back because eventually you run out of stuff to shove out. Right. Exactly. And (laughs) in electric rockets, um, they, they have usually some kind of gas inside, like an argon gas, and they use this kind of electromagnet or electrostatic field um, that's powered by usually solar cells. It could be a nuclear reactor or something, but it's usually solar cells. And they use that to like create a like a charge differential, and it makes the gas, it makes like a tiny amount of the particles of that gas shoot out really hyper fast out of the back. And so it, it, it creates thrust. It's just a very small portion, and it lasts a really long time because it's very efficient. But eventually that gas will run out. And then the thing is going to be stuck at whatever whatever its final velocity was, and it'll just keep going. But it won't keep it won't keep accelerating, and you can't burn it forever. It's, it, a rocket that could burn forever would no longer be a rocket. What would it be? It would be an impossibility. There's no <laughs> okay. such thing. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, all right. So number six, uh, Voyager one and two are still flying out of our solar system because their nuclear rocket engines are still burning. Hmm. Well, as we talked about, it couldn't burn forever, but a nuclear rocket engine, how long would that burn? Would you know about Voyager 1 time? and 2? Have you, heard, have you ever seen Star Trek, the motion picture? Uh, not the first one. I've seen okay. Wrath of Khan a few times. Yeah. <laughs> well, the first one's pretty bad, but the the sort of villain at the end turns out to be, they call it V'ger, and it turns out to be, I think it's Voyager 1, uh, one okay. of the Voyager satellites that was launched in the 70s about the time that movie was made. The idea is that it, you know, hundreds of years later, it had escaped our solar system and it had somehow evolved into an artificial intelligence life form, and it had it was it's crazy, yeah. Wow. But Voyager one and two are are really deep space probes that were launched in the seventies, and they're still going. They're still uh, communicating and uh, sending back information. One of them, Voyager two, is farther along because it because of the trajectory it took. Mm-hmm. And it's currently at the very ragged edge of our solar system. And it, it will eventually be the um, the first uh, man-made object to leave our solar system. Oh, wow. And and eventually enter another solar system, but that won't be for, like, thousands of years. Right. Jeez. Um, so they, they are still flying out of our solar system. That part they is, are still flying. is true. I'll give you that hint. Yeah, but, uh, well, I mean, I get either way they'd still be going. But I'll say, okay, I'll say true. I'll say it's still burning. All right, so... Um, they are not burning. <laughs> we didn't have anything um, back in the 70s that would be able to operate for 30 years. You know, a rocket that would be so efficient that you could make the fuel last that long. Mm-hmm. Really, 40 over 40 years now. Um, <clears throat> but the 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 main way in which this is incorrect is that these uh, spacecraft don't have nuclear rocket engines. We've <laughs> we've never actually flown a nuclear rocket engine in space. There's been some tests on the ground. It, again, it probably is a big part of the future because there's a lot of advantages to them. But we, the the after the nuclear test ban treaty in the late '60s, the research on nuclear rocketry pretty much shut down, and it's only now sort of spinning back up a little bit because uh, because we want to get to Mars, and it would be a huge help to get humans to Mars if we had even a kind of a primitive version of a nuclear rocket. So it is a real technology, but it's not really in use right now. Uh, Voyager 1 and 2 had totally conventional chemical rockets, just like, you know, just like the space shuttle and, and Apollo did. 
Um, the reason that they got so fast and that they're now so far away is, number one, they do have nuclear power sources that just generate electricity. It's called a radioisotope thermal generator, and all it is is a lump of plutonium that decays over time, and as it decays naturally, it produces a little bit of heat, and, the, and they have a, basically like an, an engine that just turns that heat into electricity. It's not very efficient, but it doesn't have to be because it only has to make a little bit of electricity because, I mean, these are 1970s computer technology in these things. Right. And uh, and they don't do very much. They basically just kind of beep every few seconds. You know, they send like a little, little bit of information back over over an antenna. Um, but that nuclear, those nuclear sources will work for a long time. It'll be a long time before they decay so much that they can no longer make enough electricity. Mm -hmm. um, but they're not nuclear rockets. They're nuclear spacecraft. Sure. Yeah. Hmm. Not bad. I was going to go false on that, and then you, you talked me into true. <laughs> <laughs> That's I the thing. Most like, of it is true. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking, like, I, I was pretty sure we didn't do nuclear rocket engines now. So I was thinking, like, well, maybe we did back then because we were just kind of, like, crazy. So maybe it does burn longer, but we don't mm -hmm. use it now. I don't know. That was my thinking. But let's move on to something. Yeah. <laughs> Sometime when you're bored, do, an, do a Google search for the Orion Project. It's a uh, it's a nuclear rocket concept back from the 60s that involved dropping uh, atomic bombs out of the back of a rocket so fast that, you, that it would feel like a sort of continuous, smooth pulse. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this was back when we didn't necessarily understand fallout and things like that. Sure. Radiation, you know, we just knew they made a big boom and it was like, wow, that's the biggest boom we've ever seen. How can we make use of that for something other than a weapon? And there was a lot of, I had a, a professor at, at back at Auburn who said one of his first jobs was uh, developing a, uh, a nuclear mortar for the army which they canceled the project because they found that the blast radius was larger than the range of the mortar. Oh, good, so the person good. <laughs> who shot it would get melted. Uh, and they were also at the time in the civil engineering world looking at using atomic bombs to dig canals because right. they didn't understand radiation. So. It's just so fast. You'd be crazy not to. I know. It'd be, a, it'd be a great idea if it wouldn't poison the water for the next thousand years. That's great. Yeah. If you could just use bombs to solve all our problems. <laughs> that was, you know, in the 50s, that was pretty much the, uh, that, was the, that was the thinking, you know. That's where, I mean, like video games like Fallout, that's exactly where that, that line of thinking comes from. Right. When you were talking about that, that ship just constantly dropping bombs to propel itself, mm -hmm. and I maybe just from playing it a lot on the virtual console this week, but I'm imagining Samus doing the, you know, rolling up into the oh, yeah, and dropping yeah. bombs to propel herself to yeah, higher platforms. They actually did some, like, really crude tests to show that it worked. They um, they had, like, a, a metal ball. Um, this was back when they were doing active, like, above-ground nuclear testing, you know, mm -hmm. in the in the 50s, and they, uh, or I think it was the early 60s, but they dropped this ball from, like, a plane overhead, and they timed it so that it would not be, so that it would still be airborne, when the bomb went off and they, they found it like a week later and it had been blown by the blast, like, you know, 20 miles away, but the ball uh -huh. itself was still intact. Uh -huh. So the idea was if we time it so that the blast is far enough away that it won't melt our ship, we can still catch enough of a ride off that shock wave from the blast that we can actually use it to take us somewhere. And, uh -huh. I mean, the concept totally works. It's just, uh, it's just kind of a terrible idea. Yeah, very. It's like the best idea ever, and it's also 
A yeah, terrible idea. Talk, it will never talk work. about not being environmentally safe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We blew up the Earth, but we did make it to Mars. You know, yeah, in record time. Yeah, so. in about a day. <laughs> not bad. Yeah. Um, so number seven here, I feel like just glancing at one, I'm for sure going to guess on uh, most of the words I don't know. Exotic rockets like solar sails and orbital tethers have higher theoretical efficiency than any current technology. I don't know about this technology or any other current technology. Um, oh, well, there's I, probably like, a way you could logic this, even if you've never heard of solar cells or orbital tethers. Sure, like I, I feel like I have heard of things, these things, a little bit. I, well, I'm gonna say true. I mean, saying it's theoretical. I mean, that's mm. and they sound like theoretical technologies. So, I mean, sure, that it sounds like maybe they could be more efficient. Maybe we just haven't found a way to really utilize them yet. So, I'll say true. Yeah, the, these technologies do have higher uh, theoretical efficiency than any, anything we've got right now. The problem is they're not rockets. So that's the, that's the reason it's false. They're not exotic <laughs> rockets. They're, ex, they're exotic spacecraft, basically. Oh, jeez. Exotic ways of getting around. No, it's it, – sorry, it gives back to the academic goals of, of this quiz in the first right, place, which is that right. the, it's, it's all about recognizing what is a rocket, what is not. How does a rocket really work? Um, solar cell is, is exactly what it sounds like. It's like this huge membrane that you deploy in space and it catches the solar wind, which are just these particles that get flung around by the sun's gravity all over right, the solar Right, and it propels you. Yeah. Right, and just like catching the wind on, on the ocean, um, you catch enough of these and they will push you forward very slowly with it. Mm -hmm. And you have to have a sail that's like the size of, you know, Madagascar. <laughs> but the, but it, the idea is sound, you know. I don't know that it's very practical. There is some research in it, um, and a lot of people think it's it's uh, just the awesomest thing ever. I have a feeling that by the time you ask it to actually carry something, um, it's no longer really worth doing. But uh, you know, it's a neat idea, and it's it is kind of free. You know, that's kind of the great thing about like you know, um, like uh, sailboats is that the you know the propulsion is free. It just comes from nature, and so. You don't have to take fuel with you. It's really nice, right. but it's not a rocket any more than a sailboat is. Uh, an orbital tether is just something – it's a it's a really crazy idea. Um, I think there's some problems with it, but it, again, basically it seems like it should work if we can ever figure out how to do it. But it's basically this thing that looks kind of like a, like a bolo or a – I don't know what's the word um, – it, it looks like a bit like a baton, like it's a it's a long string with uh, you know some kind of attach points on both ends, and we're talking like miles long, mm -hmm. and it's up in space, and basically one part of it is at a lower orbit than the part above, and so if you can send up your rocket up to the part at the bottom, you can attach it, and then something will just sort of spin it and cause it to take you up to the higher thing without actually having to use any fuel. It's a really cool idea. Um, and they've also found that they, they can kind of power themselves for free because the strings are so long, they pick up a bunch of charged particles up in orbit. And, uh, and so if you, can turn, if you could turn that charge into electricity, you might not even need solar panels or batteries or anything. That's a really great idea, but it's not a rocket. Right. I guess, yeah. Now I see that. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, again... That's, this wasn't written for you. It was, you know. <laughs> That's all I'm right. sorry. I, I hate to, I hate that these are as tricky as they are, but I didn't really want to mess with the questions too much. No, no, it's good. We're having a good time. I think I've like broken even so far. Yeah, so you're doing really bad. well, actually. <laughs> um, so number eight here, uh, rocket staging, which involves dumping hardware in flight when it is no longer needed, is an effective means for reducing overall rocket mass and cost. 
Hmm. <laughs> Have you ever heard of rocket staging before? I don't know that I've heard it called that, but I, I've, I've seen the concept probably yeah, like in a, films. Like a two-stage rocket, you know, it gets halfway up and part of it falls off and the rest of it keeps going. Sure, yeah. Um, effective means for reducing overall rocket mass and cost. I don't... Hmm. The cost thing I'm hanging up on. I'm going to say false. You, you know, you actually hit on probably one of the problems with this question, which is the cost is actually sort of difficult to define. Mm -hmm. um, it would depend on what kind of rocket it is probably and how big it is because these costs kind of scale, you know. Um, so this one really, you could probably argue it either way. My intention was for this to be true, basically okay. that rocket staging is, um, is a very old concept. It's been around since I think even before we were actually making rockets or making large rockets. I'm not talking about fireworks, but... Um, you know, we it, it's an old idea. It's very, very effective. It's not easy to do. It's kind of complicated, actually. When you're anytime you're like in the middle of a rocket flight and you try to change the vehicle somehow, it's very tricky. The timing of it, and you know, if it if it kind of only works part of the way and not the whole way, then you're just going to hold throw the whole thing off course, and it's really bad. But um, this totally works, and almost every rocket, uh, well, I mean, basically every any rocket that goes to space uses this. Right, because that's the kind of thing I, like, I'm envisioning, where it's like you get up there, and then sort of the big like piece on the bottom maybe detaches, and then yeah. you go like with a smaller thruster or something to, right. to continue on. It, it comes back to that idea that a rocket has to throw things away in order to keep moving. So what that means is, you know, let's say halfway through your flight, you've gotten rid of half of your fuel. So now there's all this, you know, there's something that held all that fuel. You know, there's this big kind of fuel tank. There's probably a big casing that kind of gave it all structural support. And that stuff is now empty, which means you're flying dead weight. So what you would love is for the rocket itself to burn up as it flew. You know, like as the fuel burned up, so would the rocket. But you can't really design a rocket that way because they have nozzles. So there's always a nozzle on the back that needs to, like, n maybe not burn up while it's while it's being used. <laughs> right. And so you've got that thing. And so as the rocket flies, it actually becomes less and less efficient because it's got more and more dead weight and less and less fuel left. Mm -hmm. And, the, and the, the idea of staging is that you can kind of reset that trend every now and then by breaking off the part that you're no longer using, you have to carry an extra nozzle somewhere up, you know, halfway up there um, right. for the rest of the flight. But you can get rid of a lot of weight by just throwing away the empty case, and then you keep on going with whatever fuel is left. And it works really well. Like I said, it's not easy to do, and the cost is kind of, uh, you know, it's hard to say whether um, whether you uh, save money or not. That's not really the point. The point is to um, get better performance. And, you have to do rocket staging if you want to go to space. I had, a, um, again, a professor back at Auburn when I was learning about rocket science um, who went, spent pretty much an entire day of class proving through these long equations and you know, lots of assumptions and things like that, but basically proving that you can't get to space with a single-stage rocket with any kind of current technology. You can't make a rocket efficient enough to get up to space, uh, in, 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 into orbit, I should clarify, not just to sure. space, but to get into orbit um, without staging at least once. 
Um, and, you know, maybe once we have nuclear rockets and stuff like that, maybe we can change that equation a little bit. And, uh, but for right now, if you're burning chemicals to get to space, you have to stage. Or you can maybe try to, like, use an airplane to get up really high. Uh, but even then, I think you, you save a lot there, but I don't think you can save enough to get to space, to get to orbit without, uh, without at least two stages. Sure. So staging is a, a very, very, very common thing and uh, very important. And unfortunately, one of the great things about rocket science is that the equations themselves tend to be pretty short and not that hard to understand. <laughs> Believe it or not, I mean, because it's all based on Newton's laws. So it's very fundamental stuff. The problem is when you introduce staging, all of a sudden all the equations get about five times as complicated <laughs> and it gets a lot harder to manage, which as a teacher is great because it gives you more to work with. Yeah. But as a student, it can be pretty frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> is there any, like, current research being done now on, like, and getting past staging, or is it just an accepted part of, of, of rocket design right now and space travel right it's now? It's very accepted if you're going to space. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, I mean, yeah, it, it's not that staging is a bad thing that we're trying to get rid of. It's just that if we could ever make a rocket that was so powerful and so efficient, that's a tough combination to get both of those. Mm -hmm. um, again, nuclear is probably the best choice there, but if we can ever get to that point, we might have enough power to get to space without that. Then again, even though you could do it, it might still be worth staging a nuclear rocket because you could probably still get some benefits from doing it. So we might, even then we might not totally get rid of it. Sure. It, it would depend on your mission. It would depend on what you want uh, to get out of it. Because it's a lot harder to make a rocket reusable if you stage it. If it could be all just one self-contained unit, then you're much more likely to be able to clean it out, fill it back up, and go again. Right, exactly. Yeah. And obviously I'm thinking of virtually every science fiction movie where there is no staging. I mean, right. ships just, just, you just lift up off the ground and fly up That's into right. space. That's right, yeah, like a UFO where you just take off a runway and then you point up and you keep going to get to space, and when you're done, exactly. you just point down and you just land right back on the runway. Exactly. There's some more fuel in there and yeah. do it again. Yeah. That's, unfortunately, that's probably not going to happen in the next few decades, if ever. Yeah, so if ever, right. It's very, very, um, very cool idea, but it's not very practical right now. Right. Makes sense. Okay, last question. Yes. Uh, in modern times, the most common use of rockets is for space travel. I, I, I gotta go false. On what basis? It just seems, well, A, it just seems like we're not, I mean, I, I guess we have things already up in space, but it doesn't seem like we're doing as much space travel, and it just seems like, I mean, we've talked about before on these segments how a lot of technology that came from the space race and, and space travel has been applied to other sectors. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to just assume rockets are used in some other, in some other industry or something here on earth. So can you think of any? Oh geez. I don't know. I cause well now I'm like debating the definition of a rocket. Cause like obviously I think of like air travel, but that, I don't think that would be, well, I don't know. Would that, would air travel be considered a rocket? No, I guess not. Would it? There are, there are rockets on some airplanes, but they're usually used for things like deploying parachutes. Okay. Um, they're very rarely used to make the airplane go faster. Okay. That's like only would be like a kind of a gimmicky, like experimental plane or something. Okay. And then, I don't know, like, I'm thinking, like, maybe, like, <laughs> warfare or something. I'm thinking of, like, playing uh, Red Alert 2 with the V-2 rockets that the Russians used. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. Maybe something maybe something along that. Yeah. You're, you're definitely on the right track there. I mean, the probably just in terms of the sheer number of rockets, probably the number one usage is fireworks. 
And oh, sure. that's been around since, you know, for thousands of years, fireworks were invented by the Chinese. Um, they were used not really so much as weapons, mainly to scare their opponents. I mean, if you think back in the times, they didn't have guns back then. So you think back to the times of, uh, of bows and arrows and people on horseback, you see a rocket explode over your head and you're going <laughs> to freak out and run right. the opposite direction. So they were very effective in that way. Uh, and over time, they were weaponized because people found, hey, you send the rocket up, it has to come back down. So what if we put something on the other end of it that explodes when it hits the ground? Then now we have a really cool weapon that we can shoot a really far distance. And that eventually became missiles, mortars, missiles, things like that. Mortar is probably not technically a rocket. Um, that's Mortar is closer to catapult, I guess. But, uh, but missiles are rockets. Virtually all missiles are rockets. Um, and they're probably, other than fireworks, they're probably the most common use. So in terms of space travel, the, the, the frequency of, of rocket launches to space is, I think, less than one per day, uh, even in the 21st century that we're in now. So although, you know, there's a lot of stuff up in space, most things you only have to send it once and then it stays there. That's how satellites are designed. And so we don't actually shoot things up into space all that often. You know, maybe in 50 years, that'll be a totally different story. Um, but, you know, one, one thing we need to figure out is how to get stuff back down, especially once it's no longer working and it's just dead weight up there. <laughs> yeah. It just becomes space junk, which is a huge problem because it gets in the way of everything. And right now we don't have a good way to bring that stuff back down. So um, that's probably... Yeah, I mean, a, how, how would you bring that stuff back down now? Is there any... If you think of a good idea, <laughs> be sure to tell the American government because they'll probably give you a lot of money. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there, there, there are some some things floating around, but none of them are easy. Um, but yeah. Anyway, um, we we mostly, uh, you know, the missiles are probably the number one um, outside of fireworks because you know there's missile tests every day all over the world, mm -hmm. and uh, you know all kinds of air air combat sorties and training sessions, and uh, and even like RPGs. That's a RPG is a rocket propelled grenade. Right. So it is. It has a real rocket on the back. Uh, it doesn't go that far, but it goes far enough to do some damage. And um, you know, yeah. I, it, like I think when you say rockets, people think of space, but uh, that's not the that's not the primary use of the technology right now. Yeah. Maybe one day, sense. if yeah, we all I'd, stop fighting. Say, yeah, I'd opt yeah. for space travel over yeah uh, military warfare. Yeah, I, mean, I think in the future of Star Trek, space travel probably is the most. Uh, the most uh, frequent use of it. Although, yeah. you know, warp engines are not rockets. That's a totally different tech, so maybe. <laughs> yeah, there you go. We may get that too one day. <laughs> you like the new movie? I love it. thought yes. it was really I'm actually good, going yeah. to see it again tomorrow night. Nice. I'd go see it again. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I loved all the callbacks to Wrath of Khan. Oh, yeah. Mentioning that from earlier, but yeah. Uh, and are you excited for Gravity? That movie looks oh, awesome. Oh, man, too. yeah. Yeah, can't wait for yeah. that. The, the, the entire movie is a spacewalk. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty amazing. I'm excited. Yeah, and I, I love all the comments when people looked at that and they said, wow, they made space look absolutely terrifying. I'm like, guess what? It kind of always has been. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, always that fear of just the unknown. And yeah, what if you do just get mm -hmm. lost up there? I mean, like you said, we don't even know how to get dead junk down. How do we go like rescue people? Exactly. <laughs> it's a very good question. <laughs> I guess we don't. I guess we'll find out. Yeah, the, when, the real answer is don't. you don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't so, wait for that movie. It looks if you're amazing. excited. Looking forward to an uplifting experience at the movie theaters mm. uh, later this year. There you go. <laughs> um, so, I th John, you know, I think I think I know how it ends based on the title. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, probably not going to be good. <laughs> yeah. 
uh, burning sensation. <laughs> but, uh, Johnny, thank you for being here, as always. Hey, thank um, you for putting up with my asinine questions, Scott. No, this was good. I liked this. This was, uh, this was fun. Hopefully you at home were keeping a score yourself and did better than me. I, I don't know where I ended up. I stopped keeping track. But You I did. Think... You actually did really, really well, especially <laughs> to have not read the textbook chapter that the students were expected to. Of course, some of them yeah. didn't read it either when they took this quiz, <laughs> and I bet they did worse than you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. That's good, I guess. <laughs> well, uh, thanks for being here. Uh, as always, if you have questions for Johnny for the next uh, space segment, you can send those to Connectivity and Nintendo Little Four. You could tweet them to myself or Johnny. Sure. Johnny, what's your Twitter handle? It's at Johnny Metz with no H and no Z. There you go. I'm OK Soda. Um, you can post it in the Nintendo World Report forums. There, there's a few ways to do it. So, if you've got questions, send them in. Uh, more questions to get. Probably the sooner we'll do another one, I would imagine. So, get those in and we'll do that. Please do. Yes. We'd love to hear it. Johnny lives for this. Oh, so. man. This is so much fun. <laughs> for me. <laughs> Maybe not for I, you, but it is for me. No, I enjoy it. I mean, I always feel like I leave learning something. And oh, as far man. as I can tell, the listeners really enjoy it. So, it's pretty good. I hope so. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, thank you for being here, and uh, we'll see you guys later. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Doctor. Doctor. Yes? What is it? What do you want? Sorry, but you're about to make a very big mistake. I don't know where I am. It's like I'm breaking into a million pieces and there's only one thing I remember. I have to save the Doctor. He always looks different. Doctor! I always know it's him. Sometimes I think I'm everywhere at once, running every second just to find him. Doctor! Just to save him. Doctor? But he never hears me. Almost never. I blew into this world on a leaf. I'm still blowing. I don't think I'll ever learn. I'm Clara Oswald. I'm the impossible girl. I was born to save the Doctor. Bonus segment of Connectivity. I'm Scott Thompson. Um, we're going to be talking about the finale of Doctor Who here. Uh, I've got Patrick Barnett. Hello. Amanda Albert. Hello. And Nicholas Bray. Hello. Hello, hello. Uh, the dream team of Who fans, I guess, <laughs> on the staff of NWR and relatedly to the staff of NWR. And I think Amanda, we need a new name to officially call ourselves. Yeah. What do they okay. call the What do they call the uh, the conference and the episode? The uh... Does that have a name? The shadow proclamation type thing? Is that what you mean? Or... No, the conference call. Oh, oh, okay. I don't know if they had, but that was a good, yeah. If they had had a name for themselves, we would have totally stolen that for this. But I don't think they did. Who I think is it was Strax? Just conference call. Who is Strax? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Patrick is Strax. <laughs> okay. I'd pick that. 
Um, so we're going to be talking a little different than the last uh, segment did. We're not going to go over every episode from this half season, uh, or half of this half season. We're going to just talk about the finale because it was amazing. Uh, and there's a lot to go over with that episode, speculate for the future and all that kind of good stuff. Um, so yeah, let's just jump right in. Um, immediately we get a lot of uh, shots of classic Doctor Who, the the first Doctor and, and an assortment of others. Um, Amanda, Nicholas, you are fans of the, the classic Who. Did your hearts just swell with joy when you when you saw that immediately out of the gate? Uh, I had a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, so, so seeing Hartnell um, with new sort of footage sort of thing was like really cool. Yeah, so what what was that footage? Was that from anything, or is um, that just sort of like it restored was from, footage? I think I read it was from the Aztecs, and they used uh, some other story as well and colorized him. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I love seeing Gallifrey, too. That was so cool. Oh, yeah, it was, it was like Gallifrey a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. I thought, I thought it was hilarious that the uh, the guards watching the screen were just like, oh, yeah, he's stealing it. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah, no big deal. Um, so, yeah, that was pretty great. And then we get this, like, sort of monologue from um, from uh, Clara as she's, like, talking about how she's always been helping the doctor. Um, and most of the times he's never heard her, but every now and then he does. And, you know, it shows, obviously, Matt Smith's doctor turning to her uh, during the uh, Christmas episode from, or, or, I guess, last year. And then the show starts and things get underway. And uh, almost immediately we have, yeah, this, this conference call because uh, Madame Vestra learns that someone knows the Doctor's secret. Uh, or sorry, he claims to know the Doctor's secret. So we get the conference call with Clara and uh, Madame Vestra, Strax, uh, Jenny, and then River Song shows up, uh, which is kind of exciting. Been sort of absent this season. Um, good to see her show up and maybe get a little resolution there. Uh, what would you guys think about the whole conference call scene? I, I really loved it. it. It was nice. It just felt odd i think for who well, i mean not odd because who is odd in general but felt different well they've talked about astral projection before yeah i guess it's just, <laughs> i don't know i really liked the build-up and i thought um it was also fairly humorous with strax and everything going on but uh um i didn't have a problem with it i thought it was really cool especially when you know, jenny was killed it was like oh no Oh, yeah, that was such a bummer. At first, those two characters, when they first came on, I, they used to annoy me, but now I've grown to like them so much that I was like, oh, don't let her, don't let anything happen to her. I don't want that character to die now. Right, they're really great. You could almost do another, like, Torchwood, like, spinoff of just the three of them, them two in Strax. Oh, <laughs> yes, Mike and I were joking about this today, and Mike had the best joke. It's his joke for this year. It was, okay, okay it's one good joke a year. <laughs> he, he's awful usually, but today he's on it. The The name of the spinoff would be The Strax of Life. Oh, pretty good. I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> we're we're not too. talking about this episode, but The Crimson Horror was kind of a good segue if they ever wanted to do a uh, spinoff show for them. Oh, yeah, yeah that's great. On their own little adventure. Yeah, at least for like the first half or so, yeah, until they get the doctor back and sorted out. Let's start a petition. <laughs> Let's make it happen. Um, I, yeah, but I actually really like this scene uh, culminating with, with the death of Jenny. Um, just because it, it's kind of set the tone for the episode, and uh, it made everything just seem so dramatic. And then you, Shit, you know, it's going to get real. Right, and then you're seeing the, the Whisper Men, and they just seem creepy as fuck. And, you know, they've inf- infiltrated this, this secret meeting and stuff, and you're just like, what the hell is going on? Um, 
And then I think what really nails that home is when uh, Clara wakes up and she talks to the doctor and you see that he's like visibly shaken about the uh, having to go to Trenzalore. Oh, um, you know, like, like, I mean, he's upset, like he's, he's cursing. And I mean, he, you can just tell he is not looking forward to, to what's about to happen. That moment kind of parallel, like a parallel to it, it reminded me of in a series six where uh, that episode, that last episode with Craig, where he knew the next day he was going to go to uh, Lake Silencio and he was kind of hemming and hawing and being emotional about it then too. I don't know, just kind of, there's so many parallels, I thought, not this, this is one, but tons of them throughout this whole episode that reminded me a lot of how uh, the last season wrapped up. Matt Smith's acting in that scene was really good as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. He sold it. I mean, he goes from this, like, just childlike, normal doctor, you know, playing with the kids who have already left to go to the movies, and he's, Mm -hmm. like, playing hide-and-seek with them, and then to just completely 180 and shift to this, like, just really emotional... Uh, troubled scene I thought it was really well done and then ran like a girl to his room <laughs> yeah <laughs> hidden the TARDIS absolutely um, so from there he decides to go to Trezalor we get the TARDIS trying to fight it and not let him go um, which is pretty cool I, I like these moments where they're building this relationship between you know the Doctor and the TARDIS and, and giving the TARDIS some life of its own and decision making and stuff like that that's that's a really nice touch um, even the TARDIS knew it was bad news for the Doctor and didn't want to risk losing him so it just, sh- it just shut itself down so he couldn't go. So stubborn. Um, and yeah, they land on Trenzalor and find almost immediately a huge giant TARDIS uh, marking the Doctor's grave. And we learn that's not just a sort of built tomb for him or anything. That's the actual TARDIS. Uh, it seems when it's dying, the bigger on the inside starts to come outside and it grows in size. Which is awesome. Yeah, yeah I really love cool. thinking about that. <laughs> it makes so much Very sense awesome. as well. Like, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, that looks a bit comical. But then when the Doctor explained it, I was like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah why not? <laughs> if it could be bigger on the inside, why not let that escape and make it bigger on the outside? Sure. It makes me think, like, I, I kind of assume the Doctor has all these types of monsters and stuff trapped inside the TARDIS. I wonder if that when that thing was blowing up. If that stuff like leaked out, too. things escaping. Well, yeah, he said his grave is possibly the most dangerous place. Yeah, that right. would go right along. <laughs> and then I think we get the first kind of big reveal um, of the episode. We learn that River Song, who was in the astral projection, you know, conference call, uh, it's the actual, it's the dead quote unquote River Song. It's not the one he's been, you know, having adventures with uh, the past few seasons. It's the one from uh, David Tennant's run, who is, you know, in the library. Yeah, post library. Yeah, uh, that's, you know, sort of making this the last appearance for River Song, you would think. Um, you, I don't, I, let me, can we, is this now a bad time to bring that up? Do you guys think it is? No, no, go ahead. I don't think uh, it is. I wouldn't think so either. They've been juggling her timeline around. When they first introduced her, they kind of showed it as they were moving in opposite directions. Right. But after we saw, essentially, the beginning of River Song when she actually transformed into her she was then used later in uh the angels take manhattan so obviously that isn't the case anymore that they're moving in reverse directions um i think it's like the end of seeing her regularly obviously um I maybe think once they, a season i i don't even think that often i, th- I think with the end of amy pond they're like okay let, we need to kind of cut ties with all of that and we just need to move on and i think river song was the last tie to that so maybe she pops up like maybe at the end of matt smith's run you know, not unlike David Tennant's run where he goes and visits all his old companions. You know, maybe we see her before Matt Smith is done. Uh, but for the foreseeable future, I, I don't I don't see her coming back. I think that this is good closure for her. 
Because I always wonder, have we really seen all her possible incarnations? Like, I know she gave some of them up, but, you know, when we saw Mel's come back, it made me wonder, are there other versions, too, that we're unaware of? And then I wondered, you know, if she's something uploaded in a computer, how do we know that, you know, sometime later down the road there might be some kind of remedy to that? I don't know. Right, where you can, like, extract her and give her life somehow. Sure. Yeah, I always just wondered, like, it just seemed to me that they left it open enough to the where they could do more. I'm sh- I'm sure she'll come back at some point. Um, I don't think it's the last time we've seen her, even if it's just for, like, a one-off sometime in the future. Absolutely. Um, and then so, from there, the Whisperman attack, uh, they sneak into the TARDIS through Ooh, Riverside Strait. He, he accidentally mentions that she's his wife. Before they oh, fall. Yeah. yeah, that was pretty good. She didn't good. know that. Yeah, you're what? <laughs> yeah, that was great. And, um, yeah, so then they get into the TARDIS, you know, they're going through it. Um, I don't know, I, th- this portion didn't really, wasn't, I didn't think the, the most exciting. I, I think they what, they get to the front of the TARDIS, there's uh, the great intelligence who we learn is, is the baddie after all, pulling all the strings, which, Amanda, I think that's, you know, you kind of called that that would be the case. Um... Hooray. When they were when they were running through the um walking through the TARDIS, was that where Clara was feeling sick or something? Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah that was her interesting. Memory. Because apparently, starts... um, that was like a callback to some story in the Sixth Doctor's run. A companion did something similar, I think, and the explanation and Adric, was the same. Yeah, it said the same thing to Adric too. Oh right, yeah. Oh really. Oh, that's pretty cool. Well, yeah, so she starts to um, remember the, the stuff that had been erased from her memory from the uh, center of the TARDIS episode where uh, the Doctor basically tells her that she has died numerous times, uh, you know, while being uh, accompanying him during different things, and he can't figure it out. Um, and so that starts to come back to her. So now she's not even, like, wholly trusting the Doctor, you know, she doesn't really understand what's going on. And uh, so, yeah, then they get to the front of the TARDIS. There's the Great Intelligence. Um, we see that Jenny has been brought back to life. Um, conveniently, <laughs> kind of taking away some of the drama and, and excitement from a little bit earlier, but that's okay. I mean, but it was cool to see uh, Madame Voster kind of lose her shit for a minute there. Yeah, when she thought Jenny was dead, because that character has always been pretty composed overall, and then for a minute she just kind of loses it. And it was—I thought it was really good just to see that for a moment of her. Yeah, that's true to see her come unwound. And then she and Heaven has that great line. I think Strax is, you know, when he brings her back to life, is like, you know, like no, no, no big deal, nothing, nothing too challenging or something like nothing. Yeah, just too the great. heart. Yeah, and then she's like, you know, like I beg to differ or something like that. You know that it is. I don't know. I think it's the fact that simple. they're giving that character that much depth also lends to them kind of doing a spin off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 and he does. He he gives the. Matt Smith gives them a lot of importance. You know, he's talking about they're the only people who stuck by him during the dark times and everything, making them, yeah, into these very important characters. So maybe, who knows? I mean, Torchwood's done now, right? So why not? I don't know. It probably won't happen, but we'll see. Uh, so, yeah, then the um, Great Intelligence is telling the Doctor to open the TARDIS with his name. Uh, Doctor won't do it. And then the TARDIS opens because... Because his name is Please. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> For a split second, I thought I that. thought that. And I was like, what a dumb twist. Fucking Stephen Moffat. I was so irritated. <laughs> and then, yeah, it turns out River obviously said it. Um, but no one heard it because only... Uh, well, we think at the time, anyway, that only uh, Clara can hear, or hear River. Wait, so 
Clara was there, right? She would have heard it, right? Yeah, but she, she already like, knew inside it. The TARDIS. She did? She remembered it from uh, Journey to the Center of the TARDIS when she read the book. Oh, right. Oh, you That's... think so? Oh, I don't yeah. think she did. Because mm. they, they didn't show that clip either. No, because I remember she was remembering, you know, things that happened in that episode, yeah, yeah. Journey to Center of the TARDIS. I guess maybe I'm wrong to assume that she would have also remembered his name then. Maybe it's implied. I don't think she remembered yeah. everything from that episode. I think it was just bits and pieces, like flashes of... But you're right. You, you, maybe that'll be something they'll, they'll call back later. But during the episode, they didn't show a clip of her reading the book. You know, they showed yeah. clips of, of the doctor having that conversation with her about her dying, but never, uh, yeah, never showed her is, reading that book. Some stuff is so ambiguous sometimes. It's like, I don't know how you don't draw like w- weird conclusions because it's just like, I think that's what it is. Yeah, but that would be pretty amazing if, uh, it had, if she, you know, made it clear that she did remember that. That'd be a game changer. A game changer. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so they get inside the TARDIS, and there we see not the Doctor's body, which you might expect to find, but sort of a, uh, just open, like, rift in space and time, which is all the, all the places the Doctor's been and all the things he has done. Uh, basically, sort of all his, like, memories, I guess, kind of, just just sort of floating there. Uh, which seems dangerous. You'd think Time Lords would devise a better way of dying, (laughs) you know, rather than just, like, dying and let people jump into their, uh, essence and change everything they've ever done. It's like um, um, when a Time Lord dies, do they like? Does this like light just sort of spark up out of nowhere and just like and just float there, there forever? Yeah, like is there like a field of dead Time Lords somewhere where there's just <laughs> light everywhere? Well, like where, where Gallifrey was destroyed. Yeah, is it just like one big white light now? It turned into a, it turned into a star. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what crazy. that's what stars are. They're dead Time Lords. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Oh, I like that. Oh, I love it. I love it. That's the best thing. <laughs> Stars of dead Time Lords. I'm uh, into that. Um, yeah, who knows? Maybe it's because he died in the time. Guys, maybe so our like son is the Doctor. Oh, there you go. That'd be a way to end the uh, the series for good, I guess, is some incarnation of the Doctor just dying as the son. I'm into it. Um, so, yeah, and then so the Great Intelligence is like, well, I'm going to jump in here and ruin everything for you. Uh, sorry about that. And then, uh, so he does, and the nice white light turns red, and the doctor starts freaking out. So, yeah, so, uh, everything turns red. We see clips of old doctors sort of being followed now by the great intelligence. Things are being ruined. Uh, planets and stars are disappearing from the sky, places the doctor has uh, been to save people. Then, uh, Jenny disappears, because the doctor had saved her life. Strax forgets why he's been working with them, and turns on Madame Vastra. They start fighting. Everything's going to hell. And then uh, Clara comes up with the idea that, hey, I think I'm supposed to jump in here. This is why I've been appearing in all these timelines, which I think was a, a really cool way to tie that all together. Definitely did not see that coming. <laughs> I mean, if anyone, when we recorded the last segment, they'd be like, I bet Clara, like, jumped through some time rift that the Doctor created when he died, and it's just helping him to fight the Great Intelligence. I'd be like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> but that's exactly what it was. <laughs> Yeah, I like uh, that it, it made sense. I don't know. And I like that she ended up just being an ordinary per- girl that did it. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was nothing, you know, like we had all these crazy guesses like what? That she was a TARDIS and all this nonsense. Like a Time Lord and all yeah. this stuff. Or she was the master. The but yeah, master. No, well, everyone's the master. Right. It was like, no, she's just, yeah, just this regular human who, who sacrificed herself to, to save the Doctor and in turn save all the people that the Doctor has, you know, saved and helped, uh, which was really great. Uh, the doctor's revived. It turns out he's been seen, he's seen River the whole time. He's always seen her, uh, when she's been around him, but just never really wanted to say goodbye, because he didn't know how. Uh, because he hates endings, as we know. 
I thought that was a nice. I think he's afraid of commitment. (laughs) Yeah, that could be. Well, he got married, but (laughs) yeah, it's not like they ever lived together or anything, as far as we know. So yeah, (laughs) he likes his space, I guess. Yeah. Um, and that was that was a cool callback. You know, it, it really to me felt like the just the final completion of all the the Amy Pond stuff. It really also was another parallel to me. It reminded me a lot of, um, do you guys remember at, uh, what was it, the end of, what was it, on Bad Wolf Beach, where he was the uh, transmission, when he was saying goodbye on the beach? It kind of reminded me of that, too, since she was like a projection. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, true. That makes sense. Um, And then, so, yeah, so he says his goodbyes to her. She kind of alludes that there's something more that she hasn't told him. But then says no spoilers and leaves it at that. Do you think we'll find out in the 50th what she's talking about? I don't know. What did, Do you guys remember exactly what she said? I don't even really remember what she was trying to she, allude to. It, she said uh, if if Clara was dead, that she still wouldn't be uh, projected there. And he didn't understand. Oh, that's and she true. told so him like, that that was spoilers. Yeah, that's true. So, like, why am I why am I still here if, if Clara's dead? That's right. So that makes me wonder if there's something still more to Clara that we'll find out in the 50th. Or if, or if it's just something as simple as, like, she jumped in there, but she's not dead yet. You can go save her. Right. You know, like, is that it? Is it yeah, because that, that could be it, but then it could be something else. Who freaking knows? They've just left themselves open. I think they just left themselves open so they can do something when they think of it later. Yeah. <laughs> right, always, yeah. It's like a get-out <laughs> the entire show. It's just one big open-ended book. Exactly. <laughs> Insert chapters here and there. However it's they just like some crazy time-traveling Mad Libs. Yeah, exactly. yeah basically. <laughs> so the uh, then we get shots again of um, Clara helping the various doctors. She repeats the monologue from the opening of the show, and now it all makes sense uh, as to everything she was saying. Uh, just some great stuff. She lands in the bottom of some pit somewhere. She's seen various doctors run by her, which I thought was cool. I was really hoping hoping for a tenant appearance, kind of like actually have tenant there. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they did one where I think it was her, like, in the library, I think, yeah. like, look, looking at him. But, yeah, that would have been great um, if it was there, one, was, one... there was one instance where the eighth Doctor was shown, too, but it's, like, yes, really, really, for, really like, brief. a second. He, like, he bumps into her. Yeah. <laughs> I was very happy, though, for that one moment. Because I was like, where's McGann? Where is he? Well, because the eighth one only existed in the movie, right? Yeah, and they don't have the rights to the footage, I think, or the full rights to the footage. Oh, uh, okay, so they and can he, never really And then there anything. were books, and there's audio plays, and stuff like that. I was going to say, because he's, he's done a lot outside of that movie, right? Yeah, I, I like the stuff. audio plays of his quite a bit. They're per- a lot of them are really good. Yeah, he's, he's had a pretty long run, but um, I haven't listened to really any of the audios of his yet. Um, but yeah, so then we, we see a few doctors run by, and then she's at, at the bottom there. Uh, then Matt Smith is talking to her, and then he shows up there, and they embrace. She's getting kind of woozy. And then they sort of look, <laughs> and there's this man with the, his back to them, and it's clearly not any doctor we've seen before. Uh, I, I was hoping for a moment that it was going to be Tenet, though. Yeah, that would have been awesome, just kind of building up to the, the 50th anniversary. Like a good lead-in to the... Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we see this man, he... With his back to them, uh, Matt Smith obviously sort of upset to see him, saying, you know, that uh, he did a lot of things, but not in the name of the doctor. Um, and then we get, he, the guy turns around, uh, it's John Hurt, uh, who is an old man, <laughs> he's a very old man, uh, and says, what, that he did everything, like, in the name of sanity and in, in, in peace or something like that. Um, and, then, and then that's when Matt Smith says, yes, but, like, not in the name of the doctor, uh, and storms off. 
And then we get the big, like, display on the screen. John Hurt as the doctor. I thought that was the most ridiculous thing. Yeah, it was a bit much. I don't know if it was just, like, they really wanted us to... Guys, that font was so nice. Yeah, it was great. (laughs) I I guess just to really drive the point home that he is some iteration of the doctor in some way, I guess. So there's no confusion. It was to make people scream and freak out. (laughs) They and might then, have done uh, it then, yeah, just to um. They might have done it just to make sure all the fans sort of, you know, don't. The speculation is not there. <laughs> it's just, you know, <laughs> right. Which is which is surprising for this show and for Stephen Moffat to actually spell something out so clearly, literally spell something out. Who knows though? It might be that in the fifties, find out he's not the Doctor. They're just fucking with you. Oh, is is this a good time for crazy theory number one? Yeah, okay, so you, you haven't heard of, of any of these then? Oh, okay, I got, I got one I thought of. While okay, well, you do yours, and then, I, and then we'll go over the four, like, sort of official theories at this point. But okay. go ahead. What do you the got? The doctor is the master. <laughs> <laughs> the master's back, because, huh? Because, like, if maybe that guy is the birth of the master, and, like, he, that doctor is the master because he did everything in sanity and so on, so on. Well, you're not too far off from, from like, some... Wait a minute. So you're telling me that you think a character in this show might be the master? (laughs) It's possible. This is a novel theory. So that means that John Hurt's character, if he's the first master, he would have had to regenerate into a little boy at one stage. Oh, right. That's true, because they show... (laughs) That's right, because they show the two of them... Oh, River did once. ...as children. Yeah, River did. She didn't go from an adult to a little kid, though, right? No, you're right. She went from a little kid to yeah, you're um, right. yeah to like a sort of teenager. Yeah, girl no, maybe it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, so you're not too far off. So let's go over the first one, which this will be good for um, Nicholas and Amanda. You guys can talk about this a little bit. And the, this guy's actually name dropped in the episode by the Great Intelligence. But the uh, the, uh, the yes. Valyard, am I pronouncing yeah. that right? Yeah. Uh, which which I didn't know this either, Patrick. But I looked it up. It, it's apparently an evil doctor. He he was a regeneration of the doctor who was completely evil. Is, is that right? He's apparently he's set between the 12th and 13th regenerations. He's like some sort of weird uh, offshoot, sort of alternate Doctor or something. I haven't actually watched all of A Trial of a Time Lord, so... I know that I remember him from uh, the end of the fourth Doctor's run, him being there, and then when he regenerated into five, the Veil Yard became part of it. Like He merged when he was regenerating. That wasn't oh, really? that That's wasn't what I the, remember. that wasn't the Valiard, that, I think that was, what the heck um, was that? something else that was just like a I think it was meant to imply that that's um, the Doctor's future self sort of watching over him like getting ready to come in or something. The Valiard wasn't introduced until um, Colin Baker's season of Trial of a Time Lord, I think. Yeah, it was. Okay. It was a trial of the time one. It's like you said, he, he was, uh, I, I'll read exactly the sentence I've got here in front of me. An evil amalgamation of the Doctor who'd somehow emerged from between his 12th and 13th incarnations. Um, so yeah, it was a version of the Doctor who wasn't really a, a true regeneration. It's like 12 and a half, basically. Um, but yeah, it was just like pure evil. And at the end of um, that story, he apparently says that um, he'll come back like the Doctor will he'll still be there when the doctor get, catches up sort of thing. Um, something along those lines. So, and if you say if hurt, um, is like one of the doctors and that means all the numbering is wrong. Uh, that means they're getting awfully close to having the Valyard around at some point. 
Yeah. Right, if Matt Smith is actually the 12th Doctor, which is which is another theory. But before we move off the Valyard, um, the Great Intelligence does, does name drop him. He, he's talking to, I believe it's Madame Vastra, and he, he talks about how the Doctor has still not fought so many things that, you know, that he ends up fighting throughout, you know, his lifespan. And he, he specifically mentions the, the Valyard, which would make you think that would be in the near future at some point. Well, so. he said something, wasn't the line something like, he'll have our name soon enough or something like that? And then he said the the beast, the storm, and then yes. the ballyard. Yeah. Okay. So tell me if I'm l- reading that wrong, but I- I'm thinking when he's saying something like that he's because re- he said he'll have our name soon enough. Is he? Aren't they referring to themselves? I don't know. I don't know. It was just ambiguous the way it was worded. I didn't know if they were talking about somebody else or themselves. Yeah, no, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> but um yeah, so so that that's one theory there. And then you sort of alluded to this um Nicholas just now, but the idea that um John Hurt is actually the the ninth doctor and then um Christopher Eccleston was the 10th doctor and so on and so forth. So everyone's actually bumped up one. Um, and the reason being that they don't consider him is because he's the one who destroyed Gallifrey and killed all the Time Lords and all that stuff. And the Doctor doesn't consider that a part of him because, you know, that, I don't know, like maybe the Doctor thinking he wouldn't have done that or that was just, or maybe he's, he, I don't know, can't deal with the fact that he did that. So he doesn't like to acknowledge that that was part of him. Yeah, I like the idea of having like a disgraced version of the Doctor where his other incarnations sort of reject him and it's like, you're not the Doctor, you're not really one of us, you know, the good guys. <laughs> right, exactly. And based on what John Hurt said, I mean, you could kind of maybe make that, you could kind of see that being the case. You know, he, he says that, you know, I did it for sanity and peace on this stuff, and he says, well, you didn't do it in the name of the doctor. Um, so that definitely all kind of builds on that. Um, and then that, yeah, that would bump everyone back one. So Matt Smith would actually be the 12th doctor, not the 11th. Um, what so. do you guys think the likelihood of that is? I think that's mm. not strong. I think it's. Me too. No, I don't know. I think it could be. Uh, like Moffat keeps saying he's going to change the show and going like it's going forward. It's going to be you know a bit different and um, he's sort of trying to cement some some new ideas into the show. I think if it's true and it sticks, maybe Moffat wants to tackle the th- uh, the uh, regeneration limit within his run of the show. So that might be a, a mm. reason why he's doing it. And that's right. true. You're right. Because in the classic, like, Doctor Who, he says what? That he can only regenerate 12 times? Yes. Mm-hmm. He so 13 right? lives. Mm-hmm. And then, but they've kind of already mentioned that that might not be the case, right? In the new run, they, they've alluded to I that. I don't think they've contradicted well, it. They've you just could also done... kind of assume that River gave up some of her regenerations right. to Matt So Right. He might have, might have a whole pile of them now sitting in his backlog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, <laughs> too. Although, now I'm thinking that might also mean at some future point, because they're Rivers regenerations, at some point he'd turn into a female doctor, because they're Rivers regenerations. Well, supposedly he he can turn into a woman. Like he, like he's I think when he talks when about he the Corsair, Matt Smith, he was he he specifically out. mentions it. Yeah, he thinks he's a woman, uh, and then finds out he's not. Yeah, <laughs> so I don't know, um, but yeah, so so that's one, and I I think I like that one the best. Um, I think that one makes the most sense, and I, I think that'd be the most interesting. And then so you get David Tennant and Matt Smith combating this actual do- ninth Doctor. 
Which is why it'd be great if Christopher Eccleston came in, because then it'd be, you know, you'd know you have all the doctors that came after him fighting him, which I think would make sense. I don't but. know if he's going to be the baddie. I, I don't see... I don't think he will be. Oh, you don't think so? No, I don't think he'll be actually the bad guy. It might be something else. Maybe... Oh, it's the Zygons? Is that... Yeah. Oh, the Zygons. Uh, Are they actually bad? Oh, I got it. That guy's not the doctor. That's a Zygon. What were the Zygons? They were uh, a baddie from classic Doctor Who, and they are shapeshifters. They look like these tentacle-looking things. They're confirmed to be in the 50th. Yeah, they are. And Shapeshifter. Terror of the Zygons comes out on DVD around August or something. September, I think. Gonna have to watch it. It's a fourth Doctor story. Um, so, and then another, uh, theory here is that he's the original Doctor, I guess Doctor Zero, if you will. Um, and then, I don't know, and then he led to the, to the first Doctor. With that theory, maybe, is he the Doctor that possibly destroyed Gallifrey? Well, no, because that came, that was the ninth Doctor, supposedly, right? That was eight or nine, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's unclear, but it's always to me I would think it would be it's been implied between somewhere between 8 and 9. Because in classic who Gallifrey is there, right? And there yeah, are it's other still time there. and stuff. Yeah. So it Gallifrey is not destroyed till the new run started with Chris Eccleston. So it See, was I didn't destroyed. Know that. Yeah, um, it was destroyed sometime between 8 and 9. Which um, um Russell T Davies did that to put, sort of put like a, a bit of mystery back into the show and sort of have like a a reset button sort of thing. Almost. Um, another thing is, though, if you're going along the lines of him being like and some some sort of doctor before the first, the f- the first time it was brought in about the regenerations and limit and stuff was in like the brains of Morbius, I think, and they actually showed like six other apparent previous doctors before Hartnell in that story. Um, they they showed six different faces and uh, it's alluded to that they're meant to be like pre-Hartnell doctors, which at the time it was just um, members of the production team's faces. But <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. You know that sort of if you're going to go along like take that as continuity of, of some sort, like it's it's possible, I guess. Was John Hurt in the production staff? <laughs> um, he's not, people, I don't think he's that old. <laughs> I, I saw her in a forum. Someone actually screen-capped all the faces and was like, oh, that one could be him. <laughs> <laughs> you, I was teasing Mike because uh, John Hurt is two years younger than his dad. <laughs> I thought you were going to say he was two years younger than Matt Smith then. <laughs> no, no. Mike's dad, he's been around a long time. He's just wow, really yeah. looking Mike's dad's old. He had Mike when he was old. I know! Because John Hurt's like almost 70, right? Or is he 70? Uh, he's 73. Oh, wow. Jeez. I think, yeah. Mike's dad is old as fuck. Yeah, he waited. He waited a long time. (laughs) I always tease Mike. He's old sperm. That's great. (laughs) Aged. We prefer the term aged sperm. Um, so yeah, so that's the theory there, and that maybe the, that Doctor Zero did some terrible thing, and then that's why the first Doctor stole the TARDIS and sort of ran off on his own. Ah, oh, so he's in exile from the beginning. That's the theory there. And then the other one, which is just so open-ended, is that he's just some future the version of the Doctor we don't know anything about yet. You I don't know, think that'll be the case. But why? Yeah, because why would Matt Smith know anything about him? Yeah. If he's and and Moffat's going to tie it in somehow. 
Like, yeah. It wouldn't just be that vague. When has he ever done something that simple? There's a good chance I'm wrong, as is most theories. But I wondered, too, I mean, to me it would seem that that's possibly the doctor that, you know, ended the time war. And since we don't necessarily know what what ended with 8 and what happened between 8 and 9, that maybe that's an older version of the 8th Doctor See, that we I, haven't I, seen. I, I don't like that idea. And I, I don't, don't necessarily like it, but I just wondered. No, but I don't think it would be either because... Like, how disrespectful is that to McGann? Like, he could easily play oh, I would think, an older yeah. version of the Eighth Doctor. Like, why yeah. cast somebody else? Well, I would much rather have McGann come back and replies that role than somebody else, but I just wondered if that was a possibility, because, I don't know, it seemed to me like it was possible that this Doctor ended that time war, and if that was the case, I would wonder, you know, I don't see how... Do you think it's possible for a future doctor to come back and it ended the time war and he just doesn't know it yet or something. Mm, yeah. I don't know. But Matt Smith does seem to know everything about him. So it seems unlikely. What do you guys think of the um, possibility of seeing returning doctors for the 50th then? Oh, uh, like, like, like other doctors, earlier doctors. Yeah. Like, do you think they'll be included outside of like showing some old clips? I hope so. I mean, who who could come back? Paul McGann would definitely come back if they let him. He was the ape, right? Yeah, I love him. I think he would be great. Well, he's done so many audio things and everything. You'd think he'd be, you know, he'd like the chance to come back. Um, oh, he said before he would do it. I really want McGann to be in some sort of more footage because I, I really liked his doctor in the movie, even though the story wasn't that great. But, um, yeah... Sylvester McCoy could come back. He doesn't look too different. Which one? Which doctor? The would he? seventh Doctor. The seventh. Okay. He's also Radagast the Brown in The Hobbit. Yeah, he's oh, great okay. in that. But even if they just, you know, recorded some new audio, some new lines to go along with it. Yeah, having like I'm a, sure a know, lot of a, them would be down to do it. Having a Tom Baker voiceover for some part would be good. He's got such a good voice anyway. And he sounds basically the same. Yeah. Yeah, that would be kind of cool. Yeah, we'll see. I, I really i am hoping Christopher Eccleston shows up and we just don't know it. I hope, I hope that that's... Because it seems like every season Moffat lies about so many things and then one of those things ends up actually being the complete opposite. And I'm hoping that them saying Eccleston is not going to be in it is just a big lie so that we can all be surprised on the 50th. The thing about you that, though, they had so many... They've had so many pictures and videos of them filming on set, and Eccleston hasn't been seen anywhere. Well, all the photos that they have are from things that are being filmed outside, but they That's don't have true. photos from anything indoors. And Moffat I, I feel like someone that. would have followed Eccleston, some diehard. <laughs> yeah, stalking him. He's like he's like yeah. the Clara for Eccleston. He's like just like watching yeah. him from, from afar, pointing <laughs> him in the direction of the BBC. <laughs> Yeah, Clara should come into this universe and just guide Eccleston to the soundstage. God, please. Like, uh, and I, the reason I think it could happen is just because BBC America, or well, not BBC America, but BBC itself has been, like, very outright with the fact that David Tennant's going to be in it. I mean, the official Twitter account for BBC is, like, tweeting pictures of yeah, Smith and Tennant together. So it's like, that's not the surprise. They're, they're doing that to stoke the fire. So, like, but there's got to be something else in there. Well, especially how, for the 50th anniversary. Like, with, they're not going to reveal everything now. With how Tennant is, though, like, you know, he's not a, a casual fan. 
So there's no way that you could think for a moment that he wouldn't go be in that. But Eccleston, it's like you could kind of see him not being in it. And in like interviews, he's like kind of said as much that he, you know, he wouldn't be in it. He, I don't think he's ever maybe definitively said no, but he's always made it sound like he's not that interested. So I think it would be great if, if we all, it all turns out he he's in there. The last I'm I. The last I knew about it, there was somebody interviewed him. Uh, he was at some play, and they asked him, would you do Doctor Who? And he's always before then definitively said no, and then he said, can't answer it. If I told you, I had to kill you. And then his, I think it was his publicist, and then somebody on Doctor Who said, Doctor Who staff said, he's not going to be in it. We discussed it with him, and he said, no, thank you. So, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they'll maybe. do. Maybe they'll do what they did for Tom Baker in the Five Doctors, and just you know find some put a wax green figure. green screen um, <laughs> footage from when he was the Doctor, and sort of like oh that, we didn't actually use that, so we can maybe throw that in somewhere. It's just some like a one clip of him, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, that was so funny to me with the for the scenes that they didn't have it film. It was like a wax. Was it made of wax or something? It was like a. A mannequin. No, I think that was just that was just for like the publicity photo shoots for the, for the five doctors. Oh, it looks so bad. They just put like a wax figure of him standing <laughs> next to the other doctors for like. Oh, oh he's in it, but they actually used um clips from the story Sharda, which wasn't transmitted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Let's hope it doesn't come to that. <laughs> Let's hope we're beyond that. Wax figures and old footage. I'm fine with that for, like, Doctors 1 through 6, but let's not do that for the ones who are still living and played the Doctor in the past 10 years. <laughs> we don't need to. Um, so, thank you, everyone, for being here. Uh, if you have any other theories or thoughts about Doctor Who, you can always send those to uh, connectivity at com or just post them in the talkback thread. And uh, I guess we'll uh, all be back in November. Rory's in- the master! <laughs> Rory's the master, always and forever. Uh, All right, we'll talk to you guys later. All right, bye. bye. See ya. Doctor? Doctor! Please, please, I don't know where I am. Clara. You can hear me. I know you can. I can't see you. I'm everywhere. You're inside my time screen. Everything around you is me. I can see you. All your different faces, they're here. Those are my ghosts. My past. Every good day. Every bad day. I'm inside my own time stream. It's collapsing in on itself. Well, get out then! Not until I've got you. I don't even know who I am. You're my impossible girl. I'm sending you something. Not from my past, from yours. Look up. Look. This is you, Clara. Everything you were or will be. Take it. You blew into the world on this leaf. Hold tight. It will take you home. Clara! Clara! Come on! Come on, send me down. You can do it. I know you can. How? 
because it's impossible, and you're my impossible girl. How many times have you saved me, Clara? Just this once. Just for the hell of it. Let me save you. You have to trust me, Clara. I'm real. Just one more step. Clara. My Clara. All of them are you. You're the eleventh doctor. I said he was me. I never said he was the doctor. Oh, I don't understand. My name, my real name. That is not the point. The name I chose is the doctor. The name you choose, it's like it's like a promise you make. He's the one who broke the promise. Clara? 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 <laughs> He is my secret. What I did, I did without choice. I know. In the name of peace and sanity. But not in the name of the doctor. 